Welcome to Taiwan Noir 7 on Golden Queen's Commando and Pink Force Commando. And take a bunch of good looking iconic girls, plant them in a movie reality from or courtesy of diehard movie nerd Chewy and Ping, and you get products that probably outrageous. Um, most people, most most normies, rather than delights, uh, but which is okay. Uh, it sparks conversation. Uh, the works of Chu and Ping. Uh, the conversation is anyway for me. If it's what he's doing at his best, is homage uh, uh, the way he steals so so many scenes from other movies and their music for his own movies. But uh, we will discuss that a li little bit. And tonight it's the mindset of Chu and Ping. And uh, I wrote something once about one of these movies that kind of sets things up in terms of that mindset. So imagine a parallel world where uh, everything is possible. We get uh, a parallel movie world. We get 80s pop star haircuts. We get a Wild West town with Chinese Nazis. We get 80s style graffiti, the Ku Klux Klan, and a lot is set to the music of Ennio Morricone. And therefore we are doing the double bill of Taiwanese reefer madness in the form of uh, the good the bad and the okay I'm, I'm sorry i mean we're doing the big gun down no no i'm sorry i'm confusing we're doing my name is nobody i'm still wrong okay what is it oh golden queen's commando and pink force commando by sergio leone oh, wow. i mean chewy and ping Kevin Chewy and Ping. I'm sorry, I'm getting it all mixed up for some reason. There, are, there it seems like a Leone movie at points, uh, and uh, and uh, it seems like another Western at some point. But um, I'm sorry, it's an honest honest thing. I'm always getting it confused. <laughs> uh, and my name is Kenny B, and with me, as always, is John Charles. But and I need you more than ever, John, because you are the expert on the subject. What movie did they steal music from this time? <laughs> yeah, I think there are a few opportunities to discuss on these films. But I want to go back to uh, Sergio Leone's Golden Queen's Commando and Pink Forest Commando. I mean, that, that, that's, that's a movie I want to see. If we, we could go back into that movie reality that you talked about and make that happen, man, I, I want to see that movie. I have a theory that these movies were shot out from some weird dimension anyway. So I think some dimension hopping would have created Sergio Leone's something weird <laughs> you know i came to this <laughs> especially pink force commando seems like a, a an anomaly from some other dimension but in a good way <laughs> absolutely uh so we will be discussing these uh, chewing ping movies and uh, this is taiwan noir at the podcast on fire network for this show and all the other episodes plus the bonus episodes you can go to podcastonfire.com Email for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Join the discussion over at Facebook. Like our page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. And on that page, you can follow the link to the discussion group and join in the fun there and, and the discussion. You can also reach that by typing in podcast on fire network in the Facebook search box. Join us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. My writing on Taiwanese movies, among other things, and if you Chu and Ping movies uh, are, are therefore scattered across the site. SoGoodReviews.com and I also do video reviews at SleazyKVideo.com and follow my nonsense mostly on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash SoGoodReviews. Subscribe to Taiwan Noir on iTunes and if you like the show, please leave a rating or even a comment if you feel that good about the show. Even if you dislike the show, we would very much appreciate you taking time to, uh, to acknowledge the show that way. Or stream the entire network, including Taiwan War, on Stitcher. The app is available to your iPhone, your iPad, your Android, and BlackBerry, I believe, has an app as well. 
And once you're in Stitcher, you can type in Podcast on Fire Network and that will get you the option to add each and every show on the network, including Taiwan Noir. And as always, just a brief mention of the blog Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles that highlights every now and again. It's a big working project to highlight uh, uh, what Jesus does. Uh, and that is, uh, he writes about Taiwanese movies that Phil Mark or IFD used to create their cut and paste products or movies they presented in general. And that is a research project that takes a lot of time. But whenever it pops up, it's uh, pretty good stuff. So uh, a big uh, shout out to Jesus as always. And uh, over to you, plug. your plugs, John. Uh, my blog is by John Charles. You can find it on Blogspot. I'm on Twitter at JC Guelph, J-C-G-U-E-L-P-H. Uh, my old site, Hong Kong Digital, is still around. Uh, you can find about 300 reviews there. And I'm still in Video Watchdog. We just wrapped up issue number 173. Right on. It seems like 20 issues higher every time you and I chat, which is obviously <laughs> not the case. But, you, you know, you guys keep on trucking. That's my point. So. Well, we're on a bi-monthly schedule, but it seems like uh, we always end up doing two or three issues back-to-back because of just the way uh, things work out because of various delays. So mm. we, do, we did three in pretty quick succession. I think we're going to have a few weeks off at least until we get to 174. All right. Uh, I wanted to ask you something on your blog you put up these old uh, newspaper ads for uh, cinema double bills uh, Mm -hmm. exploitation double bills has you have you ever encountered something taiwanese-esque you know an old school martial arts movie for instance on one of those uh, ads paired up with something completely uh, unrelated um, quite a few Taiwanese uh, kung fu films got released here in the early 70s Uh, I think fearless fighters was probably the uh, most prominent Mm -hmm. one Um, there's a there was a theater in Toronto called the Metro um, that would have all-nighters, and they'd have five movies beginning uh, Saturday and, and, and sometimes Fridays at midnight. So you'd get a kung fu film, a horror film, an action film. So you'd get all kinds of weird combinations. Um, mm-hmm. So if you go through the um, newspaper section, um, or actually if you look up Tuesday 10, that's a tag, that'll take you to all the uh, newspaper postings, and you can see various kung fu strange double bills yeah. that I've managed to find and post over the years. I just love the look of those old black and white um, ones. And they're always filled with info, too. And in a limited space, they have to cram a lot of info, cool taglines and obviously images. And, uh, yeah, it, was, it seemed like at that time anything was, you know, a given. You can almost be politically incorrect, obviously, because these were exploitation titles and softcore uh, porn titles as well in some of these ads. Yeah, the, I think it was the campaign for Lady Kung Fu. She'll give you the licking of your life. Uh, <laughs> it's always, oh, Oriental girls. Come on, guys, Oriental girls. You know what that means. Well, when you do watch it, because this is um, Hapkido, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I mean, when you do watch it, you'll probably shit your pants because Angela Malcolm will probably rip your head off. <laughs> yes. And, and your manhood off as well, if you don't behave. So. <laughs> yeah, I think she did that to Samo in at least one of those films. I th- think so. She did. Well, I think it was Lady World when I think you made a bloody pulp out of entire Samo. Yeah, she uh, smashes his face in with a, uh, a sack of gold coins, as I remember. Yeah, so um, w- w- watch out for Lady Kung Fu, I guess. Uh, we got a bunch of women in our two movies that we're covering. Uh, we are covering tonight. So let's first of all talk of Golden Queen's Commander from 1982, and plot from some brave soul at IMDb. <laughs> well, I guess it's not hard to summarize this plot. It's way harder for Pink Force Commander. But here we go. A bunch of women with various criminal skills are thrown into prison during World War II. So the movie says. I'm not sure it's World War II to be honest. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's something. Uh, the women are. 
called Black Fox, played by Bridget Lynn, Dynamite, played by Salia, Quicksilver, played by Sylvia Peng, Brandy, played by Hilda Liu, and Genius, played by Elsa Jung, and Amazon, played by Teresa Choi. They escape prison and proceed to head off to destroy a chemical lab in a well-fortified valley. I'm not actually sure if that's the plot. I don't remember anymore because it's so vague but so much fun. To At some point I just stopped thinking about plot and they are moving. Okay, they are probably moving towards something. Yeah, I guess Actually, that's, that, that's the sort of essential setup. But uh, I, I know this is a fruitless endeavor, and we should know by now not to even bother. But the IFD title, um, the original export title is Seven Black Heroines, which mm-hmm. sort of makes sense. Now, Golden Queen's Commando, um, Queen doesn't have an apostrophe S. It's just plural. So <laughs> is, is, is Bridget Lynn the Golden Queen? Um, no. Or am I thinking too much about this? She's Black Fox. How can she be? <laughs> 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 If anything, uh, Teresa Choi is closer to being sort of a queen because she's Amazon-like. I, I don't know. I, I uh, don't know why I'm trying, why I'm trying here. <laughs> let's just uh, end this right now. Yeah, I don't let's know. move on. Move on. <laughs> uh, but uh, the background that we can uh, look at is, um, is there. And I mean, the filmmaker in this case, Chu Yen Pig, as much as he's confusing, is also, um, I'm a fan. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk of uh, why we are and all of that. So I, I get the sense, though, that it's more, um, regardless of the era, or if we're talking 80s Chu Yinping, 90s, or even current Chu Yinping, very few like him. Uh, but he, he is an acquired taste, even when he's at his best, for sure. Uh, he, in my mind, was making manic cinema when he was at his best, and he was a movie fan to the extent that he often copied scenes beat by beat, shot by shot, for his movies and it happens in Golden Queen's Commander it happens in Island of Fire which is probably mo- the most widely seen Chu and Ping movie due to the uh, the cast obviously a large Hong Kong cast and a Taiwan cast uh, chief among them being being Sam Hung and uh, Jackie Chan Andy Lau of course uh, but uh, he's a talented serious storyteller every now and again for, for real in my opinion anyway and uh, you, a movie like A Home Too Far is a good example of that, but um, that, that'll get a mention in a few other movies. He has um, a place in Taiwanese cinema history based on all that, and it's not just based on the outrageous. Uh, his background, uh, he studied in uh, So Chow University and began to work in the studio Central Motion Picture Company after graduation, I think, uh, you know, in, it was located next to the school. And he talks of one of his first gigs, which was a writing gig in the documentary Taiwan Black Movies. Uh, and this writing gig was on one of the f- very first and crucial social realism movies called The First Aerostep by Ulysses Au and starring Ma Sha or aka Tattooer Ma. Which seems like a real... I don't know his background, but he seems like a real character, like Chan Wai Man was a real character. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I'd say he's a Taiwan equivalent, definitely. Uh, got the tattoos to show <laughs> to, to, to show us anyway like, like he's a badass but he seemed like he, he had an aura about him that he probably came from some kind of mildly criminal background at least and uh, yeah, then yeah. Made, made it into character acting yeah the documentary seemed to give us that uh, impression though apparently he exaggerated just exactly what he did so he'd, he'd have a bigger stature but mm-hmm. um, the, the Taiwan Black Movies talks a bit more about that mm-hmm. 
and that movie the first arrow step is sadly unavailable it, it looked really good to be honest i think it was a story of of a criminal trying to make it in society essentially uh, it, it seemed like and uh, it probably has a template akin to that you can't run away from that past easily so um, but it looked really interesting but the print that the director showcased was completely covered in in dirt and devoid of color so uh, I, it would have been watchable if you w would have been able to transfer the entirety of it and it was a widescreen print but I mean, it, it doesn't look good for that movie, unfortunately. Yeah, well, let's hope there's at least a print in a, a preserve somewhere. Um, and if anybody knows about a video version, even if it doesn't have subs, let us know, because we'd like to see that, because it, it's an important part of the Taiwan exploitation movie history. Mm, definitely. Chu uh, Jinping was a writer on that, but he debuted as director with the comedy The Partner in 1980, which uh, boosted the career of Taiwanese comedian Xu Pao Liao. And it began a series of successful collaborations between these two. The, that comedian became more known as the Taiwanese Chaplin and uh, subsequently the movie The Funny Couple in 1984 with, uh, with that comedian Xu and child talent Xu Ban Ban, a.k.a. Little Bing. That movie, The Funny Couple, pays heavy homage to Charlie Chaplin's uh, City Lights. Uh, the comedian uh, actually, um, uh, Xu Pao Liao, died in 1985 unfortunately unfortunately due to stress and alcoholism uh, that was 85 i mean it, in between making these comedies and uh Jinping had dabbled in uh, movie fandom <laughs> you know putting his movie fandom on screen because golden queen's commando and pink force commando were made in 1982 and uh, began crafting his you know nutty world of uh, audio and visual theft if you will and uh, boy, is that something to be uh, thankful for and maybe outraged. <laughs> at, uh, I don't know. Depending on the person you are, I, I don't really care. Because uh, it's not like the, when in Island of Fire, when Chu Ping copied so many scenes from Cool Hand Luke, that Cool Hand Luke got booted off this earth, you know, and was replaced <laughs> by Island of Fire. So it's not like... It takes over when he steals. He, you know, he becomes reigning champion of prison movies. Uh, so, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so so no worries about that. Uh, so, I, I guess a question is there for I brought it up before, and I guess I should br bring it up again to to you listeners and uh, and and get your opinion on it as well, John. Again, he he's a he's a movie fan, but is this right to fill your filmography with? Uh, the movies he has with uh, and with the content he has the beat by beat copies of scenes and music is that right or is it in your mind based on those movies that you've seen is this sincere imitation at all or uh, or, or do you think he's um, he's in the wrong for doing this sincere imitation or crash commercialism um, i think it's a bit of both with chu yen peng um if if this sort of wholesale theft bothers you, then you shouldn't watch these movies at all. But if you can sit back and relax and just accept that these are commercial products that were meant to be watched and forgotten about and look at them from that angle, uh, they can be a lot of fun. Um, and for all the admitted theft and uh, laziness in, from a creative angle, these films really have a certain energy and element of uh, just zaniness that it's really hard to resist. Uh, Golden Queen's Commando, Pink Force Commando, and we'll get to Fantasy Mission Force at some point, which is a sort of, I think these the two films we're talking about predominantly today were sort of a, a testing ground, and 
I don't know how they did commercially in Taiwan, but uh, Fantasy Mission Force seems like a slightly more elaborate take on the same uh, idea of let's throw everything against the wall and see what sticks and just have fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm, I, I'm mixed on Chu Yanping. I, we're going to talk more about his later output uh, later in the episode. Um, but I think his earlier stuff has a, an element of creativity and energy that makes them pretty hard to resist. But on the, by the same token, I do understand why people would not want to sit through something like uh, Golden Queen's Commando. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I'm, I'm I often feel a delight when thinking about all this stuff. And in, in all honesty, it's not all. It shouldn't be actually easy to to stage some of the uh, these scenes that he copies. You know what I mean? Because he stages action scenes so faithfully. Uh, pretty big action scenes. Uh, for for instance, in Golden Queen's Commander, there is there is that uh, the State of Grace shootout is aped in his gangster movie Requital in 1992. Obviously, just the same, but I, I I think there's a it requires a skill to actually pull it off to the extent that it looks so similar uh, and actually has an effect too, because the big squibs are there for that uh, for that State of Grace. Um, uh, shoot that copy that he does, and um, but but maybe I'm just defending him too much. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, let, let me ask you: uh, Would you say that he's the Taiwan equivalent of Wang Jing? I, I suppose that's fair. I mean, he 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 went where. I guess if you look at the filmography, he went where where the trends were, but um, also clearly made some personal uh, movies too. I think these movies, Golden Queen's Commando and Pink Force Commando, are personal to it's it's movie fandom again and therefore there it makes them personal but uh, it, there there is a lot of comedies out there and uh, a lot of really crass and great in comedies that clearly are made for the market and 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 that's what Wong Jing does Wong Jing occasionally dabbled in in personal filmmaking as well so i think they they they, they go kind of hand in hand and at one point at least they could go hand in hand because both of them worked on Flying Dagger Chu Yanping mm. directed uh, Wong Jing wrote and that should be a match made in heaven for most for me it is uh, some people i know dislike that movie with a vengeance flying dagger i think it's it's dangerous to put those two together but they did and it kind of works you know what i mean yeah i enjoy flying dagger yeah so um i mean um it's fair it's fair uh, definitely uh moving past these movies and into 1986 i believe and uh, to the zany action comedy a book of heroes uh, that is uh, quite a favorite for those to ha- that have watched it. It's, um, it features Yukari Oshima's debut performance on screen, and it's a damn impressive physical showcase action-wise, you know, a really underrated action classic, and a pretty broad Taiwanese comedy too. So you have to... I liked it, but you have to suffer through some, some pretty broad uh, stuff. But when the action hits, boy oh boy, this is... Um, this is uh, elite stuff uh, for me, uh, definitely. Yeah, if you like seeing people thrown through windows and smashed through furniture, this is the movie for you. And it's this movie. I, I, I think there was some story about it borrowing or stealing or replicating the set from Project A because there, there's a similar stairwell and, and those two stories in that hallway in Project A where Jackie's having some kind of fight. Uh, but who knows? I mean, uh, I, I don't really care and feel angry about that stuff. It's just, hmm, it looks similar. Well, so. Uh, yeah, so. knowing Chu Yanping, it was probably a pre-existing set, if not from that movie, then from something else. Oh, yeah, if you watch Chu Yanping movies, you come to recognize certain sets um, that are reused. Uh, in particular, the 
the prison set in Island of Fire is, or rather the bar set, I think, in Island of Fire is reused in uh, Hunting List. I think I've seen it in Requital and um, you know, at least three or four movies. That's similar, uh, similar looking set. So, um, but that that's good, uh, good economic thinking. It's not like. Uh, it's uh, not uh, redressed or anything, but you, you do recognize the structure of uh, of the interiors. Hmm. Hmm. But, uh, but but good 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 financial thinking to reuse stuff. So, uh, a series of army drill movies uh, followed uh, with uh, the likes of Naughty Cadets on Patrol uh, being a, an example. Uh, I think he made some movies called uh, Yes Sir or even No Sir or Forever Friends uh, with uh, Takeshi Kaneshiro and Nikki Wu uh, sometime later. Not not good movies by any stretch of the, of the imagination but uh, army training movies were a thing in Taiwan in the 80s definitely um, kind of propaganda pieces I suppose uh, to, to showcase uh, the army to, to some extent even though they were also comedies uh, but I don't know they, they weren't very exciting as such uh, he co-directed the first Young Dragons Kung Fu Kids movie and that would become a series quite quickly because it was uh, seemingly a box office uh, Box office success and uh, Xu Yunping explored kids more in movies <laughs> as as leads. Uh, and one of the examples that people probably know about is uh, the two Shaolin Pope movies mm. or, or Popeye movies. I've seen seen it spelled as as well, but it's Pope movies starring Cox Man and Six Yu Lung. One a little bit obese, funny kid, and one kung fu kid, essentially paired up with. Um, with uh, Vivian Chu in the first one, the second one they're paired up with Stephen Chow's uh, cohort in so many co- comedy movies, uh, Mantat, and Michelle Yeoh has a minor appearance in Shaolin Pope too. So, yeah, I'd love to know how she ended up in that film. <laughs> at that point, I was about to say, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't but... really. I, she, I have seen the film, and she doesn't seem like a very willing participant in that movie. Mm. But, uh, okay, early 90s marked some more mature and even harrowing work from Chu Yanping, and uh, partly this is true for the prison drama Island of Fire with Jackie Chan, Sam Hong, Jimmy Wen Yu, Andy Lau, Tony Leung Kafai, and a, a lot of Taiwanese veterans as well. This is more evident in the longer, which is the original version of Island of Fire, the two-hour version. I think the 90-minute version doesn't do it very justice and i so i think if you want to seek something out um one version out of island island of fire then it's the longer version uh it may it copies a lot of stuff uh, in particular from cool hand luke but uh, it also has some dramatic instincts and some and some compelling uh gritty violence as well which um ma- makes it memorable uh, but it's also a problematic movie dramatically if you really want to look at it uh, but uh, the, his finest, and I think he's quoted it as his favorite, is the war movie A Home Too Far, with, again, a lot of Taiwanese veterans and Andy Lau from the Hong Kong side. And a sequel was, was made called End of the Road, and I don't know how you thought, John, but I think this showed a craftsman that when get he, he got, got top talent and uh, into a story, you know, a very epic and um, harrowing war story, and it was a very compelling frame for me uh, but um did, did you see either or of these movies and, and did you see the long version of a home too far um unfortunately i've only seen the hong kong versions of both films and mm-hmm. uh, i know end of the road is missing something in the range of 20 to 25 minutes in the hong kong version and it's clear these films were made with a lot more care than mm-hmm. his other films um but uh i 
I can't really judge them artistically based on what I saw because they were very choppy. Mm, they are actually. I, I played um, a home too far side by side with the Hong Kong version, uh, and they cut out so much downtime between the Taiwanese soldiers, old and new. That I thought was a very successful element of a home too far. It made it um, real, and and the interaction was um, compelling to watch. Actually, so it's not a recommended version, but uh, that's what happened when it went to Hong Kong, and it's missing quite a bit as well. A ninety-minute Hong Kong version, I think. The Taiwanese version is close to two hours. Uh, well, let me ask. I reviewed the uh, full Taiwanese version of Island of Fire on my old Hong Kong digital site, and that was released by Scholar Films on DVD. Are there Taiwanese DVDs of the long versions of Home Too Far and End of the Road? Uh, Home Too Far, yes, or was anyway, because I had the Scholar DVD of that as well. End of the Road, I don't think so, but I heard when I mentioned it to uh, Mike Lee, the once upon a time, that I think he said that he had a Taiwanese Laserdisc or VHS of the long version, but I don't know if that had subtitles at all. Uh, it definitely, I'm pretty sure anyway, didn't end up on uh, DVD, which is a shame because End of the Road was good as it was. But when you see the ending credits and at least three, four instances of deleted footage, you kind of long for. Uh, I, I kind of knew that, that there should be a somewhat better product here because I have faith in Chu Yanping's skills around this time. Yeah, these are distinctly Taiwanese stories, so I don't know if it meant more to him on a personal level or if he was just uh, charged with saying, okay, we, this is a serious film, we have major stars, let's really do the best job we can. Mm -hmm. I think the Hong Kong distributors looked at them and said, well, this story doesn't resonate with Cantonese audiences, so let's just cut it down and mm -hmm. hopefully lure people in with the stars that we have. And uh, the, the, as you said, those are versions are just not the ones to see. I think from the Hong Kong side, in End of the Road, you mainly had Ray Loy and Rosamund Kwan, I believe. Uh, yes, I might be forgetting yeah. someone, but it's the same lead from um, uh, from Home Too Far, Tok Chung Wa, who played Tony Leung's cellmate in Island of Fire, the one who had the little rats. Right. Which, which I'm sure is from another movie. <laughs> 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 but he's actually a very good actor, Tok Chung Wa, a veteran Taiwanese actor, very young at that time. And. Um, this was actually a successful, uh, at least one of the movies was a successful on release, and Chu went on to helm the gory gangster action, uh, one of my favorites uh, for mainly gore alone. It's oh, incredibly violent. Requital, featuring a shot-by-shot -shot retake of the end shootout from State of Grace uh, that starred Sean Penn and Gary Oldman. And uh, I saw it in the other way around. I saw State of Grace like last year for the first time. <laughs> Did but, it seem very familiar to you? Very familiar, but it's also it also stands out in that movie because no other scene really in State of Grace is that violent. <laughs> All of a sudden, like let's bring in the bal big balloons of uh, of squibs and just make a violent action ending, and it, it's a uh, it, it's really something. I mean, we've seen squibs in John Woo movies and stuff. This is bigger, way bigger. <laughs> Uh, but really good, I, I do like it. And um, But Hunting List from Chu Yanping was his actual remake of State of Grace, uh, starring Ray Loy mm -hmm. and uh, Tan Lapman as uh, Gary Oldman. Uh, Tan Lapman is uh, an actor who's in my last Taiwanese movies watched. He's, he's like a creepy, sleazy guy in uh, Category 3 movies, but you don't recognize him in Hunting List. He's um, hidden under the glasses and that mane of hair that he has in um, Hunting List. But... Um, that, I, I liked that. <laughs> it was fun. What it was, it, it was fun, and the violence was great. And he actually restages a scene from True Romance, when uh, you remember when Christian Slater um, uh, confronts uh, Gary Oldman's character in the club, uh -huh. in, 
in true romance Th this is done but like in an apartment <laughs> a small apartment <laughs> but, but it, it's clearly the same scene that, uh, so uh, you know no, not man as many tools at his disposal to um, replicate that very um, scary environment with the with the pounding techno music that's in true romance but uh, what are you gonna do <laughs> Sometimes you, you're in Taiwanese cinema and work with uh, you have, I guess. So. Uh, we touched upon the fact that Chu Jinping uh, made um, sword play movies, uh, flying sword play movies in the 90s, because what followed in the wake of the success of Once Upon a Time in China you was imitations, you know, a lot of them, and uh, that kind of genre was uh, reawakened. And uh, Chu Jinping was, um, was there. He directed Flying Dagger, that was written by Wong Jing, featuring a lot of Hong Kong star acting very, very silly. <laughs> <laughs> Ma Maggie Chung acting like a cat. Yes. It's wonderful. <laughs> and her husband was Jackie Chung, and I think her, she had a tail, he had a tail. It was just wonderfully mad. And it makes people mad, that movie too, because it's so out there. And um, yeah, I, I liked it. And then it has Ching Su Tong action as well. That is very compelling. Yeah, and some wonderful music theft, too. <laughs> uh, any Morricone in that one? Do you remember that? Um, I don't remember Morricone, but I mean, it was even stealing from movies you wouldn't expect, like A, a Fish Called Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless you, Chu Ping. Uh, he also made in that genre of a Category 3 rated Slave of the Sword with Pauli Chan that uh, reused sets and uh, some action footage from the Michelle Yeoh movie Butterfly Sword. And I think Chu Jinping, he's been credited as director. He, he actually did not, as far as I know. Michael Mack directed it, but he had a hand in producing it, I believe, or his company. So it makes sense that they would have um, access to the footage and some of the sets. It's not very evident in terms, in terms of the sets, but some of the actual footage, if you've seen both movies, you can recognize it. But they don't, uh, they use actual footage that was done by stuntmen rather than, ah, I can see Tony Long Chiu-Wai's footage from, from uh, Butterfly and Sword. You know, it's not that evident, uh, but um, um, good financial thinking to some extent, uh, despite some. Uh, he became less and less interesting, though, as that decade moved on in the 90s, and uh, he's been active and still is, uh, without logging, in my mind, too much favorable work. Uh, I mean, the reactions out there didn't make me want to see Movies like Kung Fu Dunk with uh, expressionless Taiwan superstar Jay Chow uh, and Treasure Hunter that he made with Jay Chow and Eric Tsang. I mean, they, they didn't appeal to me, and I think that was the main reason I didn't go into it. It just happens that they didn't have, barely had any um, good reviews, or and box office was actually kind of weak, even in the mainland and, and Hong Kong and Taiwan markets. Well, it's funny, both of those movies got American DVD releases, um, but the, the word of mouth was so negative on them, I didn't even bother uh, to rent them. Mm. I, I've seen Jay Chow and other things, and uh, let me tell you, in the viral factor, he's just unforgivably wooden and so completely lacking in charisma. I mean, I can forgive the Green Hornet because he's acting in a language that he clearly doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. But uh, God, it's the, the best uh, Jay Chow movie I've seen because it's it actually he made me laugh at least at one point, even though the Green Hornet was ultimately forgettable in my mind. But, uh, but uh, Jay Chow is probably the reason I'm staying away from it because that that, that guy never is just devoid of charisma, and maybe it will develop. But it's clearly a pop star put in movies and. You ride that stardom wave, you know. You you get you get audiences watching that way. But goddamn it, is he 
nearly un, it's nearly unwatchable in movies. Yeah, I, I mean, people used to rag on Jimmy Lin, but I mean, Jimmy Lin is a great actor compared to Jay oh, Chow. Shit, yes. But um, the latest uh, credit at the time of recording, uh, and uh, it's a 2012 release, but I don't know if it's been released. It's uh, called New Perfect Two, which looks more romantic and possibly gratingly slapsticky, judging by characters on the poster. Um, so he's doing a small movie, at least for the local market, uh, but um, uh, not something I'd queue up for necessarily, <laughs> you know, because the, the magic is kind of, the magic was there, but I'm not uh, feeling it anymore. And sometimes filmmakers leave that behind because they don't have it in them anymore. And I don't think Chu Yinping has it in him anymore to express himself the way he did. And the inspiration possibly isn't there anymore. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, uh, he was affected by the downturn in the market, just like everyone else. I mean, you look at it early in his career. I mean, when the, the filmmaking wheels were turning and the product was just flying out of uh, studios, uh, I think there was a certain uh, freedom for him to do whatever he wanted, as long as he got brought it in on budget and had a certain number of stars in it. But, but now people are, are so desperate to try and find any portion of the market that will still uh, either see films theatrically or buy them, <laughs> or rather than just download them for free. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the type of films he's making are really of very little interest to uh, Westerners. Um, and, and apparently, judging from what you said about the box office, even local audiences aren't uh, exactly flocking to them. Mm. I, I would have uh, expected the mainland to kind of go gaga over, over at least the treasure hunter because it is um, an adventure. Uh, not a period adventure, but they seem to, um, uh, it seems to appeal to them more. Uh, period efforts and uh, war dramas and adventures, but uh, alas, no, in, at least in this case. Uh, so, uh, by the way, going back to Jay Chow, uh, doesn't he have like a facial hair in that movie? And, and is, is it that character acting for Jay Chow? <laughs> I'd be happy with any acting at this point. <laughs> He's actually going method. <laughs> uh, but okay, uh, fuck him for now. And uh, let's go move over to the great star, Bridget Lin. Yes. Uh, born in 1954 in Taipei, Taiwan. And uh, really an icon, the goddess of uh, Taiwanese romance and Hong Kong fantasy cinema, really, even though she's more versatile than just lumping, in, lumping her into those two, uh, those two aspects, if you will. She made her acting debut in the 1973 melodrama Outside the Window when she was around 18, 19 years old. She co-starred against uh, frequent co-star Chin Han in that movie, and uh, Lin became a huge star in Taiwan after the release of Outside the Window and was often cast, and I mean often, in uh, these romance uh, films, uh, melodramas, often penned originally by novelist Chang Yao, so someone cornered the market on uh, on melodrama in book form, I suppose, or novel form. And uh, she starred often against Chin Han, as I said, but often alongside Charlie Chin, who of course went on to uh, be in uh, Winners and Sinners and My Lucky Stars, I believe, as part of the Lucky Stars gang. Uh, this is a very stark contrast to her iconic fantasy roles, obviously, because in the 70s we saw a girl when she transitioned to Hong Kong and got put in many Choi Hawk directed and produced visual epics. So obviously, Sue Warriors from the Magic Mountain, Swordsman 2. She grew older, but perception, in a way, also changed from a girl to full on woman. And she really, ch- because she was put in s- such different genres compared to her Taiwan stuff. That, that was also growth for her in a very good way uh, because you, you, you don't see that fire in her eyes in those melodramas because that's not what she looked like at that time and obviously not what they were using her for 
So, so it in, it's interesting to compare um, decades in, in that regard. Uh, you've seen a fair few of these uh, Taiwanese melodramas, so you know that they require, you realize that, a high threshold for, for melodrama, because they are pretty big in that regard. Uh, but I, I'm sure you agree on this one. She is often a standout presence, even in the crappier movies. Uh, yeah, I have a friend from the mainland named Tian, and she was a big uh, Bridget Lin fan. And we talked to her about uh, Lin, and she, she couldn't understand why I'd want to watch these movies. <laughs> I just said, well, I want to see her for Bridget Lin. I mean, and plus, I, I, think, I think I said on an earlier episode, exposure to films like that really sort of got me used to uh, Chinese drama. And hmm. that not only used to it in the sense of what to expect, but also that I could uh, appreciate it better. I mean, obviously, some of these films are bad, mm-hmm. but um, outside the the window for example have you seen outside the window yes i have i i have the laser disc of it it's uh, actually pretty sweet laser disc as i'll explain because uh, what two, two of my favorites i, I got a brief mention first the cloud of romance and the marigolds are some of the slightly more sharper um, dramas for, that she appeared in and ocean shores actually distributed a fair amount of her work from this period on uh, laser disc and vhs and vcd and and you can you could actually appreciate them because despite being cropped transfers from the original scope images, they often uh, redid the subtitles to fit the one three three frames. So you can see you can see the entire uh, rows of uh, subtitles and what have you. Um, but uh, outside the window was a nice example because that, that wasn't an Ocean Shores uh, release. Uh, uh, I think it was Edco, and we got that in um, the original Taiwanese cinema print, if you will, in widescreen with the original subtitles, which was uh, kind of neat actually to get the first one presented in uh, in that way. Yeah, my friend Richard Akiyama was a, is a, well, probably still is a huge Bridget Lin fan, and that, getting that film was a real quest for him. And I remember he, yeah, this is before email. He actually phoned me from Hawaii to tell me that he'd gotten outside the window, and like he said, he paid I think one hundred and forty dollars for the laser disc because he couldn't find it anywhere in Hawaii. He had to special order it, mm. but he was so happy that he, he could finally see this film, and I, he sent me a copy, and I, I, and I certainly understood why it made her a star because her presence is really affecting in that movie and it works as a drama too i mean i can understand why people dismiss these films as soapy and melodramatic but i think that film really um has crossover potential mm-hmm. uh, it, it is a solid drama mainly thanks to her and it's uh, it's not a very soapy kind of movie either it's uh, it touches on some taboos because it made the main plot catalyst is a romance between her and her teacher i believe her older teacher and so it's it, it tries some somewhat darker themes compared to the other ones, which was, was just uh, you know soap dramas in scope, essentially. You know what <laughs> I mean? Yeah. Uh, n- not very challenging material, so it's a standout in that regard. Uh, but uh, moving on to her uh, golden age, at the same time as Hong Kong cinema had their golden age in the eighties and nineties. Uh, she, she she obviously worked a little bit still in Taiwan because she made Golden Queen's Commando and Pink Force Commando, but there really was Hong Kong that uh, called and uh, explored her and absorbed her, and she she gave it her all. Uh, and uh, you know, you can quote so many movies, but uh, those fiery fiery eyes and uh, and uh, those occasional dramatic performances really stood stood out to me that that mix that Bridget Lin could provide across movies like 
like Sue, like Police Story, Peking Opera Blues, uh, uh, underrated movies such as Lady in Black by Sun Chung, mm. Web of Deception was a really good thriller, Dream Lovers with Chiang Fat, which is probably one of my favorite movies of hers from this period, where she, um, I think they found out, because they, they meet in modern times, that they actually were lovers like several hundred years ago, so you get yes. uh, the the rare appearance of Chiang Fat in uh, in uh, in a period movie at that time uh, you, you often were used to his modern image obviously from all the action movies and comedies but uh, to have him in um, in, a, in a dynasty movie if you will that that was cool and it's a really absorbing movie visually uh, as well do you remember at all uh, watching dream lovers um it's uh, too long ago yeah i was actually able to find the laser disc at the store i went to in toronto so i was able to see a good quality copy right from the beginning um his I assume that's been remastered. Um, no, nah, well, well, yes and no. There was an actual DVD with optional subtitles, but I don't don't think it went any further than that. So we we got it was obviously a fair print and all of that, but um, you know the laserdisc is still is still a good viewing option in that regard. Yeah, speaking of laserdiscs, another film we should talk about is Red Dust. Um, mm-hmm. She's very good in that, and that was an Ocean Shores release that unfortunately was full screen. Um, I don't know if that one's been remastered. Uh, no, my DVD from the mainland is the same full screen uh, print. It's a it's a war drama, I suppose. Um, her and Maggie Chung and her former on screen and maybe former off screen lover Chin Han, uh, they star against each other again. Uh, I don't remember so little from that movie, but I remember liking it. It's a very good movie, directed by uh, Jim Ho, uh, who did uh, well. He's done it, uh, done a bunch of stuff, but I can't quote any off the top of my head. But <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, King King of Chess is pro- well. Actually, I should probably shouldn't bring up King of Chess because I think Choi Hawk took that film away from him, didn't he, and, and directed part of it himself. Mm-hmm. Um, we also did uh, Kitchen and Pavilion of Women. I guess those yes. are probably his best known in, in the West. Yeah, Pavilion of Women was his English language debut, um, even though it's a Chinese set movie, but uh, star, co-stars Willem Dafoe, I believe. So. Yes. It wasn't too hot on that one, but it was um, you know, n- n- not offensive either as such. So. Uh, but um, other iconic roles for Bridget Lynn, you know, you can quote them forever, but obviously you got to stop somewhere. But The Bride with White Hair, uh, Ashes of Time, and um, Shunking Express, uh, but even comedies. Uh, I, I loved her in particular, and I loved everyone in uh, Wong Jing Zaini, Boys Are Easy. Mm. I mean, would you agree? Maybe I'm putting you on, on the spot here, but would you say that that is one of Wong Jing's best comedies? Yes, uh, I've only seen the, the longer version. I understand, uh, like, I, <laughs> it was one of those infamous no name laser discs that showed up in uh, stores on, on the side of the world. And uh, it was no, apparently. Well, no name laser disc, what does that mean? Um, these laserdiscs showed up in stores in 1992 to about 1994 that had no distributor listed on them. Uh, when you put the movie on, the movie would just come on. There's no copyright, no oh. distributor name. They're obviously bootleg laserdiscs. Um, and the print used for the no-name laserdisc of Boys Are Easy is a longer version that I'm not sure has surfaced anywhere else. Um, I know the – was it Maya that released it in Hong Kong? Mm-hmm. I think that was shorter than Maya DVD, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, so I haven't seen the shorter version, but uh, yes, uh, that is the Triad Olympics. Which yes. Is, <laughs> which is a classic Wong Jing uh, idea. Um, yeah, Boys Are Easier is a lot of fun. Um, I guess in a, a similar vein that's not nearly as much fun would be Black Panther Warriors. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yes and no. I, I kind of, for movies like Black Panther Warriors, I just tune out because I know now that I shouldn't um, attempt to extract anything from it other than it moves 
a lot and uh, it goes pium, 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 pium. ooh everybody has uh, fi- fine looking hats and are <laughs> dressed very well and, and yes. that's kind of like Clarence Fock uh, stamp on things so but but if you were to you know I wouldn't have uh, it would have been even harder for me to recap that, that movie compared to tonight's movies oh my god I actually saw that at the Far East Theater in Toronto and uh, I didn't know at the time that when they put the subtitles in the film they put them too low on the screen just as what happened with Holy Weapon so I sat there in the theater and for the most part there were no English subtitles they were just <laughs> below the screen I'm sitting there thinking do I want to go complain <laughs> to tell them, move the frame up so I could see the English subtitles and I thought can I, this I can movie, understand this art <laughs> yes, uh, I, no this movie doesn't make any sense anyway so I, I did see it again on video with subtitles and uh, I can't believe Megastar actually released it on DVD with the same shitty subtitles somebody actually sat there and typed out those same incomprehensible subtitles yeah. for the DVD so I, I I would like someone to fan sub that in a version that sort of makes sense because uh, I would like to try and understand what's going on in that mm-hmm. film. But um, but in reality, don't bother. <laughs> Waste your time on something else. <laughs> I will say that Brigitte looks great in that film. And yeah. it, every, actually, every, everybody looks great. So maybe if you want to just fast forward through it and watch the action scenes. Well, do a redux version and cut out Dickie Chung and his yeah. uh, pacifier. But uh, what, well, who am I to complain, I guess? Yeah. Uh, Brigitte Lynn actually married uh, businessman Michael Ying in 1994. And lo and behold, what happened? That never happened before. She left the film industry. <laughs> that tend to happen. They marry someone wealthy and they're gone. Uh, she has two daughters, born in 1997 and 2001, and uh, she did a voiceover for a uh, John Fan film um, with Daniel Wu, a gay-themed... Um, sure. Uh, yes, that's right. But uh, otherwise, she hasn't appeared in movies. She made a public appearance, though, a first public appearance since her marriage, apparently, at a screening of Ashes of Time Redux at the 2008 New York Film Festival. Um, but uh, let's said, in my opinion, about that new version of Ashes of Time, the better. But uh, that's I, haven't, I haven't watched it. She's great in it, and I'm sure she comes off great. But I, I never saw any point based on, uh, based on what I read. The changes were, and I, I never saw any point in terms of um, the changes to Ashes of Time. I, it's one of the few. Uh, I've not seen all of Wong Kar Wai's movies, but out of the ones I've seen. That one stands out. And funnily enough, on a Wong Kar Wai uh, tangent, uh, I've heard someone say that, oddly enough, there seems to be a divide there that people who adore Wong Kar Wai are not into Ashes of Time as much, but those who do not are really into Ashes of Time. Mm. But it's a challenging-ass movie, so I don't know how that works really, but um, I like it. It's good fun. Well, I love Wong Kar Wai, and I love the original Ashes of Time. I I don't think I'll ever watch the uh, recut version. I'd always heard that Ashes of Time was predominantly financed by triads and i, I kind of wonder if this redux version wasn't a way for him to reclaim partial ownership of the movie with this alternate version or exactly why he would bother to uh to do this i actually saw that in uh chunking express at the toronto film festival and i don't know if those films were rushed to be done for theater release and maybe he felt the need to go back and revisit ashes of time i don't remember the circumstances about why he undertook the new edit but it, it really didn't seem uh, necessary. I thought it, it's, a, it's a difficult film. I mean, I, I, it probably took me three viewings to really appreciate it, but mm-hmm. I think it was fine as is, really. I, I, I agree. I, actually, I, I always forget about the movie a, a while after I've seen it, but, because the, but when I see it, when I'm in it, I, I do get it. So it's one of those movies that I focus so much that it kind of leaves me, but then it becomes fresh every time kind of thing. That, that rarely happens with me, but with that movie... Um, uh, it's it's a it's an experience even now, and then it's gone. 
uh, I, I can't possibly recap it. That's my problem. But yeah. uh, you know, it t- takes a while to uh, and some challenge and some extensive notes to recap it. But she is fantastic, as you said. But do you've done it a little before? But do do write um, a new love letter to Bridget Lynn, if you will. So so the floor is yours. Well, she had such an iconic presence. If you look at what she did in the '90s, um, I don't know. If I, I think she realized her career was winding down because she was approaching her 40s and maybe she was worried about doing her, losing her looks and she was just doing whatever was being offered to her. But, I mean, she was such an icon that, I mean, you look at something like Royal Tramp 2, where you can't imagine anyone else in that role. And, and even in the, the junkie films like Deadful Melody, hmm. which I can't imagine was a particularly fun experience for her. But just because it's Bridget Lynn, you accept the character and you have fun with the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I probably first saw her in Police Story, and I I don't know if she made as much impression on me as uh, Maggie Chung did, but I think it was probably Peking Opera Blues where I really became a fan, mm-hmm. and uh, that made me seek out her Taiwanese work and uh, and her easier to find uh, Hong Kong stuff. Is that about to the traje- trajectory for you as well, or? Uh, God, I, I don't probably. I mean, uh, Police Story was an early watch for me, uh, really early watch. But I weren't, I, I wasn't aware of anyone but Jackie Chan in that movie. But uh, it, it, it probably was uh, because the Taiwan stuff I saw uh, just just a few years ago uh, because I got some laser discs. There were some uh, widescreen uh, and remastered versions that put out on DVD in Taiwan with English subtitles, or they were the cinema prints. So, so, so we got to. Um, Experience the melodramas as um, on 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 real terms in some cases, uh, but um, it, it, that, that's probably it. And um, you know, uh, it's uh, it's mad love for her. I can't. I, I can agree that some movies are obviously not. Her, her heart is not fairly into it, but uh, she she just uh, was part of the movie making machine in Hong Kong, and certainly in Taiwan, of course. But um, she she never fails to make an impression, though. Uh, she might have been doing it on autopilot and goddamn it she still came off as being there and iconic uh, so uh, that says something certainly oh let me go on record as a defender of dragon chronicles the maidens of heavenly mountain i like that film, movie which is a lot of fun which a lot of people hate for some reason i can I only like I, it i can only figure it's because the english subtitles don't make a lick of sense and it's a kind of fairly involved storyline mm-hmm. so that's another one that somebody needs to fans up uh, I, I mean holy shit you got gong lee bridget lynn and uh, Shala chung who's no, by no you know not that's known but you know got them they're all beautiful and that that's a pretty ambitious movie a big movie uh, for for one of those you know in the wake of once upon a time in china type of movies that, that looked impressive to me i think it just came along too late in the cycle and that that's why it bombed but it it's it is it's such a fun movie visually and just fun watching these three great iconic actresses with these broad roles i mean mm-hmm. i don't think i've ever seen gong Li in anything else like uh, dragon chronicles Oh no, no, that was uh, she had Hong Kong ventures, but not um, not akin to that. I mean, uh, her Stephen Chow movies were obviously um, of, of different uh, of different ambition. Even though they were high profile movies, they weren't they weren't Dragon Chronicles. So yeah, they, well, I think she played it straighter than she does in Dragon Chronicles. Mm-hmm. That that was a really great broad role for her. Uh, yeah. Um, Let's uh, before we move into our review, back to we'll go back a little to availability for Golden Queen's Commander. It's unfortunately sparse for this one. Uh, you can easily watch it online, though. I've seen it on YouTube, um, so you you can. Uh, and there's probably torrents out there. Uh, that version is the English, uh, based on the English dubbed version presented on VHS 
Japanese VHS again by Tokuma. Uh, partially cropped, but still in uh, 185 widescreen, which is preferable to, to anything else. Uh, so uh, That is also the 1984 IFD presented version of uh, its film. And I, I thought that was the original title, but you, you had another title um, that was possibly original um, uh, that you said earlier in the show. Um, it, it was released on video in Canada by a very short-lived company called Boomerang Video, and the title on the box was uh, Amazon Commando. Uh, but... Right, that's a different one. You had a you had a, a a different title. You said at the top of the show, uh, Seven Black Heroines was. was uh, yeah, that's the English export version title for the Chinese. Right, I believe, right. I think was it, did Ocean Shores release that? Oh, that I don't know. Actually, I've never seen it on uh, by anyone else except for. Uh, uh, shameless exploitation uh, company I will mention in a li- little bit but uh, going back to IFD they credited Chu Yinping as the director uh, so good on them uh, the credits are actually placed after the movie for once because always always on IFD movies you got the full credits before the movie and then a quick the end on red background when the movie was done by the 90 minute mark yes you know done go home fuck off <laughs> <laughs> You know, that, that's revolutionary for IFD, you know. <laughs> uh, the directing credit thing would change for Pink Force Commando, as we'll explain when we get to that. Uh, I don't know what company did this, probably Ground Zero or Xenon or Xenon, but there was a US VHS release, I believe, called Crime Force, claiming that Jackie Chan stars in Golden Quiz Commando. He doesn't. Uh, he's not even pasted in <laughs> into a movie. But apparently they slapped either before or after a music video with Jackie Chan and possibly one of the girls. I'm thinking Sally, yeah, because she had a singing career and I don't know if Bridget Lynn ever appeared in any music video. Uh, but uh, I read some reviews online and some tend to think that they saw Jackie in the movie. Mm. Uh, and, and I'm thinking, like, do they think like the bumbling warlord played by Hoi Bat Liu, do they think that's Jackie? <laughs> Or, I don't know, <laughs> he doesn't look like Jackie Chan at all. But uh, well, I, uh, I can see people running these two movies and Fantasy Mission Force together into one big crazy movie. So that that's the only explanation I can think of. Yeah, well, well certainly that's maybe why they put it out as they did, because they, they had Jackie and Bridget Lynn in, in a movie before. But I, I don't know, it's, it's that's shameless. That's shameless. I'm not surprised. But that's shameless. Uh, but uh, we got we got the original here. No Jack Chan in this one. Uh, uh, so let's uh, let's start review, reviewing it or do the time warp with uh, Chu and Ping. <laughs> <laughs> So let's start to attempt to review this uh, movie called Golden Queen's Command, or i.e. will play the game partly. What movie did they steal music from this time, Gabe? <laughs> <laughs> Can make, it a, make it a game show that's probably been invented already, but, uh, but uh, not with a Taiwanese twist. So. <laughs> uh, in short, first, John, uh, what do you think? What's your take on Golden Queen's Commander? Do, c- can you come to a conclusion? 
I, you mentioned that uh, before we started recording that Mike Leader knows uh, Chu Yan Peng, and I hope someday he can let us know just the origin of this project because it's it sounds it's such a fun idea. I mean, you're basically taking a spaghetti western template, mixing in the Dirty Dozen setup, and then just doing whatever the hell you want. I mean, it, it's almost like Chu sat down with his stunt guys and th- said, "What kind of cool shit can we put in this film? Let, let's go through the costume department." see what kind of crazy costumes we can get, uh, see what uh, looks good on our leading ladies and uh, figure out our action scenes and just uh, take it from there. I, I have a feeling that possibly even less so than usual, there wasn't really much of a script involved in this production. Uh, it was sort of, let's go to the set, uh, let's stage some stunts, let's have fun. And that uh, sense of fun and sort of lack of coherency <laughs> comes through at the final product, but it doesn't matter. And this is definitely one case, <clears throat> and also with Pink Force, where I absolutely recommend seeing the IFD version because the goofy dubbing fits perfect into this universe. Um, mm. I, I, would you agree with me on that? I, I, I can't imagine this playing uh, as well in uh, in original Mandarin uh, because uh, it just adds something understandable, obviously, for us who, who, who don't uh, who don't know the language. It, it adds something understandable to um, when it is in English. And, and IFD won't... They didn't produce boring dubs either. They could produce faithful dubs. So they could produce very outrageous dubs for their cut and paste movies. Um, and, and 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 it seems like it's in tune with. Uh, they understood uh, what was fun here. At least the dubbers did. I don't know what the sound, what Joseph Lai and Godfrey Ho, uh, if they understood it or if they even were involved in it. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's hard to say why it's in an enjoyable time warp for me. Uh, and when I say time warp, it's because this movie is set in World War II, has elements across uh, in it that fits uh, later decades. Uh, so that, that's why I call it a time warp. But uh, he has a grasp on uh, on on this, and uh, he, he has a grasp of uh, pain homage, possibly too clear homage, i.e., stealing. But uh, the girls are fantastic, and it makes me giddy in an overall sense experiencing Golden Queen's Commander because uh, it's problematic in parts it doesn't move as fast in the first half as it does in the second half but uh, and and really this review is going to be like a fragmented mess from me but it, because in reality it is a bit of a mess but it's a glorious one and you shouldn't <laughs> critique it too seriously and you really shouldn't attempt but we are doing it to to analyze it either just go with it and have fun and uh but but even with a critical eye turned on turned on if you know if you know what i mean i i it still comes off as um as fun so uh it's set in 1944 well <laughs> well right okay if you say well, so yeah i think inglorious bastards was set in 1944 too but uh that tended to stray a little bit away from history uh much like this one does yeah, it's a uh, bends time and space a little bit. So, uh, but uh, d- don't take it too seriously. That title called 1944. Yes, we're in war now. Well, you're in something, all right. You're you're in you're in Chu Yinping's mind here, and uh, and it it obviously it probably borrows structure from other movies by setting up each and every member of uh, of in this case uh, the girl gang. But it's really confusing you know all of a sudden you know you got a prison camp and cut to boom wrestling okay um after a while you realize it's teresa Choi, the lovely <laughs> teresa Choi. uh so it's an intro for her character and you see several intros but uh it's it's um you, you only pick up fragments like okay i don't know what's going on but it's bloody 
gory wrestling because they use iron knuckles and uh, it's a pretty dark and violent film and uh, Teresa even burns the guy's face I believe so it's pretty brutal and then cut to and I'll let you talk of Elsa Jung and how she looks in this movie and, what, and, and do you know if that character image is cut right out of another movie uh, it seemed like Taiwanese 80s new wave to me that, that, that's my only point of <laughs> reference yeah, she's uh, walked right out of uh, an 80s synth crop group, pop group, uh, with the, wow, I don't even know how to describe her, but, you know, she doesn't look like she's from 1944, <laughs> rather 1984. <laughs> yes, very much. Uh, so it's playing fast and loose here, and, uh, but uh, that character image with, um, she's obviously um, can handle a gun and uh, she carries a bible with her you know that um, religious angle to her being a killing machine i'm sure that's uh, from somewhere i mean he's taking ideas and putting it into elsa it seemed like yeah that that's right out of a spaghetti western and i'm I'm forgetting which one because it it seems like a pretty familiar element that i've seen over and over but i can't pinpoint where i would have seen it first i think her hair and her makeup just confuses you when you try to like (laughs) where is it but she looked I don't know anymore. <laughs> but, but she looks fantastic. She looks so... Even if you knew Elsa, you kind of don't recognize her because she is buried under that hair and that makeup. But she looks fantastic. And that costume, I, I gotta say, I, I think she's incredibly well costumed. <laughs> you know, it, it, might be, it might be just something they took from the wardrobe department. You know, it's done. Here you go. But uh, I, I think she, she carries it uh, very well uh. Well, the girls are all uh, iconic types, so I, I guess she's new wave spaghetti western female assassin. <laughs> I guess yeah. we're mixing a few icons here. As I, as I say, I believe uh, so. Um, that that's kind of what you have to go with. That uh, it's uh, elements and genres put into a blender. What came out, you know, uh, the mess that it became is still kind of controlled with an assured hand, with a sense of fun. You know, a shorthand in this case means a sense of fun. Uh, then cut to Manchuria, uh, Allied Camp Manchuria, and uh, the, the alcoholic samurai girl called Brandy, uh, you know, gets to do her thing. And here we got a beheading and uh, in this scene. And, and she's a raging alcoholic, but is very much in control of her, uh, in control when she does get alcohol. So I I, I love that setup that, uh, that it was way darker than I first uh, uh, then I, I did, didn't remember that from a first viewing that it's a pretty violent and dark opening that doesn't really that, that isn't a thread through the movie that it's dark it's uh, pretty goofy and cheesy but uh, uh, it's pretty fun I, I like these generic title cards by the way you know French consulate <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> somewhere could, could be anywhere yes actually the Canadian uh, release uh, the wrestling gore with uh, Teresa Choi was cut out of the print used for the transfer mm-hmm. um, so I, until I saw the Japanese version I didn't even know just how gory that scene was I think the beheading might have been left in but uh, mm-hmm. yeah that, that opening bit was cut uh, you'll be talking a little bit here, here and there about uh, what music has been lifted. I, I, I can only identify like the most obvious uh, cues from uh, from Morricone's uh, library. Uh, I thought I heard, and viewers might be um, familiar with uh, the tune Magic Fly by Space as it's used in Snake and Eagle Shadow. And uh, in the bar scene, I thought I heard it, but at the same time, the track that's playing, or maybe mixed together with something, sounds like the theme to Das Boot as well, Wolfgang Petersen's uh, Das Boot. So, so it's probably it's probably 
not any of those, but it's like, hey, it's that, but it's that. No, it's not. <laughs> you know well, I, I, mean? I, I haven't seen the Chinese version, but I'm assuming it has the same soundtrack as this. I, I don't think IFD messed around with this film. There's no Tangerine Dream this, oh. that, that I detected in this movie, so I assumed uh, IFD left the music alone. But uh, I don't know. Want to talk a little bit about the music and the um, and, um, and and dub, and and the WIP movie that actually is um, that it turns into. Uh, so um, go ahead. Well, it starts off with the Dirty Dozen template, where we're introduced to each of these women who have these skills, and they're 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 killers, and they're ruthless, and they're all sentenced to this prison camp. And then it turns into a women in prison film, complete with a food fight in which people drench each other with porridge, I guess, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're hitting each other with plastic plates or something. It, it's, it, it's it's such a strange scene. And then it it they escape, and then it's a women on a mission movie, and then there's supernatural body booby traps with flying skeletons with swords and <laughs> yes he's not making this up he's not making this I was, up. I was just gonna say I, I swear people would sit there and listen to me say this oh, say yeah, I'm making right. it up but, but no right. seriously there's they're shooting and eating competitions there's murderous ghosts there's the famous shoot the hat scene from for a few dollars more and I think I'm only at about the halfway point <laughs> describing <laughs> exactly what goes on and, and the, the wonderful thing about the prison, I mean, it looks fairly high budget at points, but the prison is, um, the exteriors uh, is definitely um, covered up in smoke and darkness to simulate the prison yard, which is fine, I suppose, but it looks like some elements of this movie is really, really low budget. Uh, I also love that uh, the girls, because, uh, and, and, and this is a decision I stand behind. As we said, these are iconic girls, they look great. Obviously, they must still look great in prison. So <laughs> they don't strip them of uh, their traits, you know. Elsa Young is in that full makeup. Only uh, obviously uh, she has prison clothes on, but otherwise, Bridget Lane has obviously. Well, they wouldn't strip her off her eye patch, but the girls look great. <laughs> yes, including uh, was it Sylvia Peng who's dubbed with the uh, Southern Belle accent, complete with the little heart-shaped uh, beauty mark. <laughs> yeah, it's like Quicksilver. Apparently, she's uh, she's yes. called that. She's the sort of the least memorable one out of this uh, group, uh, but um, she plays a role later. But obviously, I I, I do I, I do understand why they kept the character images because you you. You you gotta you gotta remember it that it's more of a lighter WIP movie and you talked about it on an early episode that other WIP movies uh, American ones for instance are more um, lighthearted rather than uh, cruel and sadistic like Commander Fury was so this plays into that template a little bit I suppose. Yeah, I, I mean, this was—I I assume this was meant to be a general audience's film, so they, they aren't going to get too dark in that regard. And I don't think Taiwanese censors at that time would have allowed uh, too much more. I, actually, I don't even know if Commando Fury played uncut in Taiwan, but uh, that would have gone against the the playfulness of the, of the second half of the film. I mean, yeah, there was some gore at the beginning, but uh, that's not the focus here. But in this prison scene, we get um, the the main theme that they use from this for this movie. Um, is uh, from a fam- from a famous Morricone score. So, talk whatever you want about the music and the theme. I'm talking about is the "My Name Is Nobody" theme. So, I want to talk a little bit about what you heard and what you thought about the music here? Uh, well, on the Morricone front, in addition to that film, we've also got uh, surprise, surprise, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, also, "Duck You Sucker," and, nice. uh, the big gun down, which is a classic uh, Lee Van Cleef spaghetti western. And on the non-spaghetti western crime front, we've got Violent City, which is the Charles Bronson film, which also has a great Morricone score. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's all the that's all the Morricone I detected. So, but I mean, mm-hmm. that's five movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they are put to 
great use here. Obviously, if you put Morricone on anything, it kind of works, even though it's also like very much pasted onto scenes. It feels like as well, you know, it's uh, it. It was a fast production, it seems like. So just lay music here, uh, lay it on here and here, and that'll be good. So, but but it still works because it's Morricone and his music is immortal and can be put uh, into a varied, uh, you know, array of um, of genres, including including here. And and my my name is nobody. Uh, that quirky theme that uh, sets up Terence Hill's character in the opening. It, it's it works as the. Uh, as they work in the prison yard and it's kind of this, this daily life to have that uh, flute theme going on. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not opposed to that. It obviously is from a way different movie, but uh, hey, why not? Well, let me send a thank you for, to my Facebook friend, Randall Larson, who pointed out that the music at the very beginning of the film is actually from uh, Where Eagles Dare, the Clint Eastwood, Richard Burton, World War II film, mm-hmm. which I have seen, but I'd forgotten that music. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of moods, as we said, you know they, they are so. Uh, as John alluded to, when they, when li- lining up all the content, you know one of the the other moods are so different in this movie, and it's hard to tell what the movie's doing, but you you go with that. It's enough for me uh, to to go with, uh, d- despite being a head scratch, you know, because it's uh, it's dark and violent, and it's sort of light and fluffy and funny with the food fights, uh, but but it's no problem for me to go with this movie and. Uh, it's just funny to be on this uh, unpredictable uh, ride and uh, it's more pedestrian in the first half uh, I would say with the WIP things uh, WIP genre and angle but once they get out then the weirdness is elevated to new levels yeah the first half is sort of relegated to the the whole dirty dozen template where we have to introduce all the characters show what they're good at get them all together and then get them out of the prison and we can get going with the (coughs) plot (laughs) such as it is (laughs) And when they, um, at one point, they drive and, uh, to somewhere, and uh, they are playing the big gun-down uh, theme. Uh, I don't know the name of it because my soundtrack only has the Italian names, so, so I don't know what the actual uh, Morricone's English uh, title for uh, the main theme from the gun-down. Uh, uh, maybe it is the big gun-down, as a matter of fact, uh, that uh, famous theme. But uh, I always loved it. I heard it first, the, the instrumental version of that theme, because they, they, they put lyrics on it, uh, English-language lyrics and Italian li- lyrics on that theme. But the instrumental was put to a promo trailer for Moon Warriors UK VHS release by Made in Hong Kong. Mm. And that was so... It was well edited. And to have that music built, you know, din 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 and the way that film builds with the choirs is just fantastic. Moon Warriors was a good film, as it turned out, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I said to myself, like, this is probably not as good as this trailer, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it sells it so well, and Morricone's music is great. And I thought it was original music at that, at that time, of course, but it turns out, no. <laughs> well, the big gun band's been used in a lot of old-school kung fu films, and it stands out there, too. I mean, it's just a great, versatile piece of music. Mm-hmm. There's some uh, good action here. Unfortunately, the VHS print uh, doesn't sell it very well because it's so dark. But there's some explosive action here, like when the ladies leap out of an explosive, exploding hideout on a jeep, which is an image that appears in Pink Force Commander as well. Uh, so uh, it's they uh, they increase the explosive explosive action too. Uh, maybe we should just briefly talk about why so much stolen music actually was was able to be kept in so many Taiwanese movies and Hong Kong movies and I guess one reason is that uh, it, it didn't it wasn't going to be detected because <laughs> these weren't movies meant for 
export consumption as such. They, they, this was local, so no one was really breathing down their necks to like take it out. I've heard Hong Kong filmmakers say that uh, there, there were copyright loopholes that said that uh, American copyright didn't apply to Asia, which I think is a crock of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <Frankly>. <laughs> I think you're right that they just figured that nobody would notice and that if they did, no one would bother to come after them. I mean, uh, you mentioned uh, recognizing music uh, from a film before you'd, you'd seen it, and mm -hmm. uh, I revisited the Arnold Schwarzenegger film Red Heat which I hadn't seen since 1988 when it played theatrically. And I just sat there and laughed because I didn't realize just how much of the, the score from that film had been stolen and put into The Killer, which I have seen so many times. Mm. <laughs> but uh, and, uh, as far as I know, I mean, the, they've never had to change the music in The Killer. Um, maybe they've had to pay royalties at this point. Mm. But in the case of this film, uh, in addition to Morricone, we've also got uh, music from Battlestar Galactica, uh, Wendy Carlos's score for Tron, uh, P Pino Donaggio's score for Dress to Kill, uh, <laughs> and uh, we've also got music from William Lustig's nasty slasher film Maniac. So, I mean, just think about those titles, those types of films, and spaghetti westerns, and just imagine what a, an incredible musical collage that would be. I mean... Quentin, you think Quentin Tarantino mixes and matches? Uh, he's he's got nothing on Chuya and Ping. Oh no, oh no. I mean, uh, I would love to think, and uh, it's probably true that Quentin knows uh, of these movies at least. I mean, maybe he doesn't know Chuya and Ping, but he he's such a detailed movie fan, so, so he probably knew of uh, at least knew that the Hong Kong movies, uh, Asian movies, stole left and right. So I'm I'm, I'm thinking this is not um, an original idea from him, so to say. I think uh, well, he's a big fan of music anyway. I mean. Mm -hmm. uh, tunes so uh, so talk a little bit if you will or whatever notes you have when the movie starts picking up again uh, I mean do, do you think this is uh, you know it, it's not a trek to get to the point where they're on their mission you know when they leave the uh, the prison behind you know as, so is this is this the most memorable part of the movie and most exciting and most uh, is it the, the parts where Chewie and Pink's direction flows the best, you think, if you want to call it direction. <laughs> uh, yeah, as you mentioned, once we get past the setup, uh, it, the film moves a little faster. And also because the, the setup is familiar enough that even though it's full of these weird anachronisms, uh, you basically know where it's going. But once they're out of the prison, it, it, you really don't know where this film's going to go. Uh, I mean, that, that ending. <laughs> I mean, mm. The ending is... it. It follows the usual uh, template as far as the, uh, quote, men in action uh, assembling the team films go. But you don't realize you're even going to get there once mm -hmm. once you leave the prison. Because, as I mentioned, you, you, we go right to that scene with those those uh, skeletons with swords on wires attacking people. And you're thinking, my God, now it's a horror film. What, mm. what the <laughs> hell? Um, are, are the trees going to come to life next? What's going yes. On? <laughs> <laughs> so I think the complete unpredictability is is so refreshing uh that the the what the fuck factor in this film really carries it along and i have to think that uh as i mentioned before that they, they really didn't have a a plan as just what they were going to do I, I think they had pre-existing sets they had costumes they had the actresses and they had chi and ping's apparently encyclopedic movie knowledge and he just mm -hmm. um went down to the set and said okay what what can we do and let, let, what can we do today let's let's have some fun and one day they had fun copying My Name is Nobody. Yes. Uh, so do, do, you want, do you want to set that up and explain? Um, the, the, this is the scene, I suppose, in the movie where Chu and Ping is copying it beat by beat uh, and, um, and, and mixing, uh, mixing Morricone movies and scores, if you will. So, so uh, let's set it up. 
Um, well, as I remember, the, the My Name is Nobody leads to the big climax where Henry Fonda basically takes on an entire gang of horsemen by himself. Yeah, and, it's part of Ter- Terence Hill's... Uh, uh, he, he wants uh, Henry Fonda's character to have a big send-off uh, before he uh, retires from the West, and uh, this is... Uh, uh, the next to last scene, uh, actually, it, it, it ends with a with a shootout between him and uh, Terence Hill, but it's the next to last uh, scene in that movie. Mm. Um, this has a variation on that. All the girls participate, but it, it's the same idea of uh, horsemen getting blown off their horses by explosives. And thankfully, I don't remember there being any animal cruelty involved in this. So, uh, uh, horse falls in general. I mean, uh, may, may, maybe not uh, pleasant for the horses at all times, but. Um, uh, we've seen it before and it seems like they they were okay that, that's from that movie my name is nobody but uh what's the uh what's the uh, stolen score that the company is this uh, saying john um you know i can't remember off the top of my it's head ecstasy of gold man oh right <laughs> okay so it's like i'm an idiot okay let's let's try that again <laughs> no no worries we'll, we'll keep that in it's easy to forget man it's easy to forget i it's the sole thing i recognize the most ecstasy of gold and and you know why not uh, it, it's a rousing score that scene in itself uh, as copied and as conceived originally is is pretty rousing actually and uh, and uh, there's a pretty ne- neat uh, stuntman showcase here you know so i i would say it's the, probably the most planned sequence in golden queen's commander because it um, you don't do this on a whim and uh, and let stuntman you know go into it without any plan Maybe they just had a, an outline of what we're going to do to do today, but it would have taken some planning to get this right. Uh, sure. Uh, so uh, I think it's a, it's a pretty rousing success to to copy that uh, that scene. I, I don't know, I don't think my name is nobody is uh, as watched by by Sp- spaghetti western fans. So so, so maybe I don't know uh, maybe maybe they wouldn't pick up on the fact that it's from that movie, or I'm just a uh, totally it and my name is nobody it's as big as the good bad and the ugly but um i i only saw it uh like last year i f- f- actually fell in love with my name is nobody it's a problematic film but uh uh the the themes that uh were presented in that one i really really liked and that scene that they copied here in golden queen's commander is um it, it goes hand in hand with that theme so that's just me. Great soundtrack, though. So, uh, so get, get get both good, bad, and the ugly soundtrack, and the My Name Is Nobody soundtrack, and watch Golden Queen's Commando and My Name Is Nobody, and see how see how it compares because they, this is the scene that is uh, that is straight out of something else. Okay. Uh, so it's good fun. Uh, I don't really have any other notes other than I I actually adore this movie. I like Pink Force better, I think. Anyway, I don't, I don't know why. I just think I do. <laughs> uh, but I. I think Chewing Ping oozes confidence in this movie, uh, and there's inspiration here when restaging some of his favorite movie moments and uh, and um, referencing many of his favorite movie uh, aspects and moments. So I think that comes off and it makes makes it a, a memorable uh, product for me. Not for all audiences though, but uh, uh, it's still him at his at his best. I would say. We'll uh, we'll move on just a little bit. I just want to give, give a shout out to um, an actor that is uh, not credited on HKMDB, um, David Tao as the prison warden. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's him anyway. <laughs> but you can see him in several uh, Taiwanese movies, uh, uh, including playing a character called Billy in Fantasy Mission Force. 
Uh, he's also in Spooky Cookies, uh, Can't Stop the War, and John Woo's The Time You Need a Friend, his uh, Taiwanese drama that was a remake of The Sunshine Boys. And uh, in fact, David Chow was uh, paired up a lot with actor Shun Yuet, who in many of these movies he's in, Fantasy Mission Force, but viewers might remember Shun from City on Fire as he played the older alcoholic uh, police captain that Chow in fact reports to while on his uh, undercover mission. Uh, a really good um, uh, veteran Taiwanese actor. He's in Outside the Window as well, in a brief brief role. Um, that, that face always looked kind of old anyway, so he never changed a lot between 1970, early 70s to, to 1987, for instance, when City on Fire came out. But uh, David Tao was uh, a presence in these movies as well, so uh, shout out to him in general. That's our recommendation of Golden Queen's Commando. I'm going to have trouble saying anything about Pink Force Commando, but it's, it's going to be a challenge. It's, uh, I, I felt stoned while I watched, while I watched it, <laughs> and, uh, and that would, it's probably um, a correct feeling, because that movie is uh, conceived by someone who just went, right, let's, <laughs> let's do this. Let's, let's put that shit in there. Yeah, that'll be good. Go. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't blame it. It turned out pretty, pretty good. But uh, we'll talk more Pink Force Command after some more Morricone music uh, after the break. Welcome back to our review of Pink Force Commando, also from 1982. Did, did, did you read any other alternate titles for this that might have been the original one? I haven't found any myself. Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. Mm. It's pink, certainly seems apt, and uh, one of the poster images is uh, uh, all the players uh, <laughs> dressed in, uh, not, not dressed in pink, but uh, pink backgrounds. They're, they're shot, uh, shot against the pink background, so uh, pink has something to do with it, and... Uh, uh, that's the deep theme here, I suppose. <laughs> uh, okay, plot from IMDb, and it's always almost impossible to recap or summarize this as well. It's more, it's more difficult. But uh, the here we go. Uh, the plot of the film begins with a band of women surrounded in an isolated farmhouse. They have stolen a large uh, hoard of gold, which the military wants back. They decide that some will make a run for it with the gold while others remain behind. And any survivors will meet back at the spot in a year's time to split up the money. Things don't go as planned and the story spirals out of into three or ten different directions until we get the final shootout. Um, that's the plot summary from IMDb. So, uh, written by someone who's in tune with the movie and realizes that uh, it's all over the place. Uh, the girls from the first movie are all back and uh, they play different characters uh, this time around, I think, anyway. It's, it's a confusing aspect as well, as we'll talk about. Uh, but all are not on the same side, though. So, uh, new drama here. <laughs> uh, talk a little bit about two actresses uh, from, from this movie who were in the first movie as well. And Elsa Jung. Uh, very much a staple of this new wave social realism, uh, but mostly 
her, her face was memorable in uh, action female revenge cinema out of Taiwan and uh, you can see Elsa commanding an army of Amazon women in the country of beauties aka island warriors which is a very very fun movie uh, she's in Lee Chonam's The Challenge of the Lady Ninja, A Life of Ninja. Uh, she did a fair amount of movie for, movies for Lee Chonam uh, of uh, Shaolin vs. Lama fame. And uh, also did a lot of movies with Ching Gong, who was the co-director of 14 Amazons back in the Shaw Brothers days. Uh, so she did that. She's, of course, memorably made up as part of an 80s pop group in Golden Queen's Commando, as we said. And according to info out there, because she didn't have a long career, really, she apparently had an affair with um, an unnamed Taiwanese actor uh, whose wife was a famous writer and this scandal destroyed her film career. But apparently she and her love went into the glass-making business and at one point or maybe still is famous for that work in collector's circles. So a little bit of a crazy mad story going on there, but um, whatever. <laughs> There's memorable cinema based on that. Do, do you have any... Like uh, lasting memories of seeing Elsa in movies or... Um, based on your prior Taiwanese viewing uh, habits and and current viewing habits, um, I haven't seen too many films. With her. One film I wanted to watch before we did the podcast, and I just didn't have time was uh, Rainbow Force. Have you seen that one yet? No, I don't mean, that I want to watch now. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a Greek uh, VHS in English of Rainbow Force. Um, it seems to be a, another. Uh, Dirty Dozen style action film based on the little bit that I've watched so I can't be too specific about it mm. as you said she looks so crazily bizarre in Golden Queen's Commando I I don't know if I even put together because there, there was a few years before I saw Pink Force after Golden Queen so I don't know if I even put together that it was her when by the time I was seeing things like uh, Challenge of the Lady Ninja and uh, Life of Ninja and I, I'm sorry that her career went off the rails um, I guess the newest film I saw her in was The Book of Heroes oh yes uh, she's seen that as well yeah, I don't really have anything else to add, unfortunately. Yeah, you you she pops up every now and again in 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 film and IFDs, cut and paste productions or what have you. So there, there, there's one movie uh, that appears in Taiwan black movies. It doesn't have subtitles, and I don't think the title was displayed. But she has a uh, uh, she has one eye. Uh, she stabbed in the eye at one point. So it's mm. one of those uh, uh, one of those um, revenge movies, and she she like um, uh, rounds up. Um, a gang of girls to to help her out to some extent. So, uh, but I can't for the life of me identify it based on the uh, the English titles on uh, on Hong Kong Movie Database. But uh, that that looked uh, really good. She looked more uh, Japanese in that one um, in in design. So, uh, uh, so possibly she's playing a uh, Japanese character. But that that looked uh, good for and um, came from the, that era, this early eighties era of uh, this kind of movie. So I'm, I'm sure it has some fine fine grit, if you will. Yeah, she and Bridget Lynn are also in a film uh, that IFD released as Phoenix the Raider. Uh, it's also known as Deadly Angels. And I have seen it, but it's been so long that I really don't remember it at all. I have it somewhere dubbed in English by IFD version. Unfortunately, a full screen, but uh, I, I do have it, so I plan to watch that. They, they, that was, they presented the movie complete, as far as I know. It wasn't a cut-and-paste uh, production. But one movie that she did appear in, that was a cut-and-paste produ- production. She's in Ninja Commandments. The Ninja movie slash heavy melodrama from Taiwan. The original movie finally um, surfaced in terms of a title. And it's a kind of snicker-inducing title, if you will, but um, really not. It's called Ma, Don't Die on My Back. Mm. Uh, She's good in it. She's scarred. She's burned at one point. She has horrible, horrible scar makeup. But she's really, really good in it. Uh, 
uh, that that is still evident within all of that Richard Harrison madness. Richard Harrison, who clearly doesn't want to be there, <laughs> <laughs> and it's set over like forty, fifty years, but the ninjas they don't age, and why should they? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and it's uh, that movie where one of my favorite uh, IFD line readings is from this movie where Lewis Roth is sitting down uh, at the top of the movie and talking to his ninja disciples and saying. You all may wonder where Rodney and Janet are. <laughs> uh, boy, now we have a movie, Rodney and Janet. Janet the Ninjas. <laughs> actually, another cut and paste that she was in, and actually possibly the very first cut and paste I saw was uh, one called Ninja the Violent Sorcerer, mm-hmm. which is uh, edited from <clears throat> a film called The Stunning Gambling, which oh, yes. uh, I think was a Lunar New Year film. I'm going to guess that it is because it's got a, an all-star cast. Mm-hmm. Elsa Young, Angela Mao, Danny Lee, uh several other major Taiwanese stars of that time. And mm. uh, it's just re-edited in this completely batshit film arc uh, hopping vampire movie, which <laughs> makes no sense at all. Um, I managed to get the original Stunning Gambling. It's available in a center-cropped full-screen version, mm-hmm. which is kind of hard to watch. But uh, needless to say, it plays a lot more coherently, even with cropped subtitles oh, yeah. <laughs> than yeah, after what film arc got their hands on it. I can't remember Dick about Ninja the Violent Sorcerer other than I remember uh, identifying the stunning gambling uh, pretty easily. Actually, it's it's uh, because you you have recognizable cast, the, the topic obviously. So, uh, so, so it's always good to uh, draw a line to the original, if you will. Hmm. Uh, but um, okay, let's move over to Sally, uh, who's uh, yeah, she worked in Taiwanese cinema before becoming more famous for singing and the killer and what have you globally recognized as the female lead in John Woo's The Killer. I don't know why people hate on her in that movie. I always liked her in that movie. People t- tend to think she is um, a weak link in that movie, but I don't know. I don't know where that is coming from. No, I, part- I, don't, I don't agree at all. I think mm. she's fine. She's married, though, to someone who's not a good actor at all. A global vacuum. Uh, George Lamb. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, he's fine in movies, I suppose, but uh, I don't look forward to watching George Lamb movies uh, uh, that I get my hands on, necessarily. It's like, oh boy, <laughs> it's going to be boredom at some point here. And well, there, George, there he is. George has his skill set. It's kind of limited, but he's been okay in some films. Uh, she's Canadian-Chinese. Um, uh, and uh, ageless too she was interviewed a few years ago on for the release of hong kong legends um, dvd of the killer and uh, really underappreciated for other roles in my view uh, uh, but well put to use in mostly 80s hong kong cinema and we have to thank Choi hark for a lot of that but uh, mm. born in taiwan and moved to canada specifically victoria british columbia at the age of four and um when she came back to Taiwan, she got her start um, around this time. She made a movie called Mariana, which was her debut, which is essentially a Taiwanese cannibal movie. Yeah. Uh, I liked it. It was fun. Uh, <laughs> Chin Han, I think, was in it. So uh, yes. there, there you go. Yeah, uh, shot, shot in the Philippines, as I remember. It looked like that. Uh, seems suitable to get to get those locations. Um, you'd have to go somewhere else, I suppose. Uh, but uh, what, these commander films were some of her first as, as well. And uh, she... Uh, ventured into singing shortly uh, shortly into her career as well and apparently it was more by accident as she was uh, this is obviously a very cinderella story if you will but she was heard singing to a song on the radio by some producer and quickly thereafter stardom but she had chops though it was not like uh, she was uh, you know rushed into uh, the canto pop scene and she had zero talent it was probably in her to some degree and uh, she over the years you know uh, really showed that she was not a fluke 
fluke uh, hit uh, fluke star or anything like that but back to the movie she's put to great comedic or, or rather screwball comedy use in the finest Choi Hawk movie ever which so few have seen because it's not very widely available and it's Shanghai Blues I can't get enough of her she's she's the ditzy comedian the naive uh, naive character coming to a big city and she's so wonderful in Shanghai Blues it's uh, an adorable adorable as all uh, as you can be <laughs> uh, did, did you ever see Shanghai Blues at any point because it was on Laserdisc before and stuff like that oh yeah I actually had a dub from the Laserdisc and I recommend uh, there's a beautiful French DVD of Shanghai Blues <laughs> it doesn't have English subtitles but there is a version where someone has added English subtitles so mm-hmm. if you can actually get your hands on that that's a great way to see the film it as, absolutely is as Sally Yeah and Sylvia Chang are just uh, absolutely wonderful in that mm. movie and the classic theme uh, theme by Oh, was it James Wong who wrote that uh, that theme? It, it probably was. I mean, he worked with Choi Hawk so much. Uh, but, uh, uh, Sally Yep sings the theme, I believe, though, in that movie. So, um, mm-hmm. and and she did for for many uh, many movies. She worked extensively for Cinema City and uh, Choi Hawk's uh, film workshop. Where, and I believe Shanghai Blues was one of the first or the first of uh, Choi Hawk's own uh, film workshop uh, productions. But uh, she was in Peking Opera Blues alongside Bridget Lin and Sherry Chung. She was in I Love Maria as the robot, which she co-starred against Choi Hawk and John Shum. Two people you don't necessarily see in your dreams getting paired up together in a movie, but it, it's funny. I, I like Choi Hawk. He, he always, almost always played it, um, played the silly roles, but um, you, you got movies like The Final Victory by Patrick Tam, where he plays a gangster and a bit more serious serious manner but uh, she's uh, she's the robot uh, not the sex robot or anything like that that was robot tricks <laughs> a very different movie <laughs> uh, she's in the diary of a big man against a manic and not the giant fat in one of his funniest uh, funniest roles and he she's probably in the music video segment uh, where giant fat sings uh, very nice uh, it's probably her and joey wong uh, dancing alongside giant fat in that music video midfilm or what have you uh, and of course, she plays, as we said, the singer who's blinded by Chiang Fat's assassin in The Killer, one of her most famous roles due to the international distribution being so great from the get-go, really, for The Killer. Uh, on, on the subject of theme songs, as I touched upon, she's contributed theme songs for The Killer, A Chinese Ghost Story. I mean, going back to The Killer, she sing, she is the one that sings you know, the song in the movie before she gets blinded and all of that. That's not someone someone else. That's uh, that's Sally singing on the soundtrack. Shani's uh, Ghost Story, she's had numerous hits and been awarded the most popular Hong Kong female singer award at the Jade Solid Gold Top 10 Awards. Say that a couple of times uh, in a row if you want. Like, she's been awarded that award a whopping four times. And... Uh, Again, she married acting vacuum George Lamb in 1996. <laughs> yeah, he is, he is. You're not going to take that away from me. <laughs> uh, but I guess him and Alan Tam in the same film would be too yeah. much for you. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Nothing is happening. They're moving, but I see only a black hole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she married in 1996, and it was a bit of a scandal, apparently, on, on the subject of scandals again. As, as George Lamb was possibly still married when they married, and Sally was considered... A bit of a homewrecker. Uh, I'm saying possibly because I couldn't confirm this, obviously, but um, uh, it's all good now, apparently. So uh, she's retired from movies since 1991. As um, she made a comeback though on the Canto pop scene in 2002 and received the Golden Needle Award at the 33rd 
RTHK Top 10 Chinese Gold Song Music Award Ceremony. For fuck's sake, cut those down. <laughs> <laughs> music ceremony in Hong Kong, that's it. Uh, she won the Lifetime Achievement Award at that uh, award ceremony in 2011. For, and that is, that is given to artists who have contributed enormously to the Hong Kong music industry. And uh, it is recognized as, a, as one of the highest honors in the Chinese music industry. So good on her. And uh, I mean, the, the songs I've heard from movies are, are absolutely fantastic. And um, so the, I, I see no, uh, I, I see only stardom in her in that regard. And she's while she acted i think she did some fantastic work as well um anything stand out um aside from shanghai blues or i mean picking up her blues i'm sure she, you thought she fit that trio of female performers uh, uh, quite well i also love her and i love maria i mean she looks so great as the robot i mean especially in the, in the blackout uh, robot suit that she wears later in the film yeah <laughs> yeah that, 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 that's a fun one also known as robo force i believe yeah, I think that's the export English dub. Yeah, yeah, the a wacky Hong Kong comedy that uh, got its chance on the international markets. You know, starring Choi Hark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going back to Pink Force Commander, it's not officially available on DVD, and what we watched is the full scope version on Japanese VHS by Tokuma. Again, what a fantastic company! Uh, hopefully a YouTube version or torrent of this is available to you. And, uh, but it would be, in that case, the IFD presented version that was also released in 1984, as was Golden Queen's Commando. Uh, unfortunately, IFD, they, they were kind to Chu Yinping for the first movie that we discussed, directed by Chu Yinping. In this one, they were not. They uh, put him as production designer uh, in, uh, instead, and the directing credit instead goes to someone who is made up. And it's not Chu Yinping's English uh, language name or anything. It's Lawrence Full. Yeah. And Strange. That's, that's uh, not even Godfrey Ho. I think Godfrey Ho is credited as story or writer as per usual. But um, uh, that was kind of shitty, IFT. Yeah, even Film Mark came up with better English names than that. Yeah. No, but Br- Bruce Livingstone is a better name than Lawrence Full, but that's just me. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, at least the movie was presumably left alone. I mean, if it was over 90 minutes, they probably took out a little bit to get it to exactly 90 minutes. But uh, uh, at least that, and at least we got, got it on scope on one market, uh, the Japanese market in this case. So it's all good. Uh, okay, first brief opinion, if you can, John, of Pink Force Commando. Well, I guess this is supposed to be unfolding in the same universe as Golden Queen's Commando. Uh, We get flashbacks to the first movie, even though they aren't playing the same characters. I was sitting there thinking, did you not shoot enough footage to introduce the characters in Pink Force? So he just went back and used flashback footage from Golden Queen's, or was that an intentional allusion back to the other film? And then I realized that trying to make sense of this movie is a complete waste of time (laughs) to just go with it. Um, Would you agree? I only if if this was a video podcast, I would show you all my notes. It, it starts with fifty question marks, <laughs> <laughs> but I do like it. Uh, I even love it. I think it's a better movie than Golden Quiz Commander because the energy is heightened, and it's and the puzzling nature of it and the imagery is just so fantastic. Yeah, as I said, I felt stoned. Uh, but, but this, I think someone was when combining all these even more crazy time warp elements than in the first movie. Uh, and bless Chewie and Ping for it. I mean, this is infectious and, and fun. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, we even got silent movie-style slapstick added into this one. Yep, 
why why not you know fill the movie even though it seems like as you said the movie wasn't full enough uh because of those confusing flashbacks it is an unrelated movie but uh, they still flashback to the the actresses appearances in those movies but only one looked like she did in the other movie and it's uh for heaven's sake uh, the the sylvia Sylvia Peng or Hilda Liu character still looks like the kind of samurai girl like she did in the first one but she plays a villain in this one yeah Sally so. yeah, still sort of playing the same dynamite Susie so oh, oh of course of course uh, so uh, it's um, I don't know <laughs> I don't know what you start on but, but I guess the appearance of a pink megaphone in the opening scene is uh, perhaps signaling, signaling that we're in for fun, even though they don't do a, a big uh, comedic uh, shtick about, oh, it is a pink megaphone. It's just, ah, okay. Some, I mean, p- pink isn't, isn't hard color for, you know, hard action and tense action or anything. And it's not a sloppy design choice. I think it's, uh, it's meant to... Uh, piece somewhat light uh, and, and of course the casting is strong i mean uh, the w- women still look great and it's no problem for me to start mid-story for a movie because we, we get we are mid-story here and uh, but, but but as you said it's uh, it seems like an afterthought to flash back to the previous appearances of the actresses uh, and it doesn't make sense for elsa because she therefore has three appearances in this movie she looks one way in Golden Queen's Commando, one way in the Siege, and then one way later in the film with her short hair and her superhero cape. Yes. <laughs> Three Elsa Youngs. Okay, right on. <laughs> I am. Uh, so I, I don't know. Uh, but, but the daylight escape is great uh, for um, in this opening scene because we, we see the same scene with them uh, driving out of the exploding building in a jeep. Uh, and we get that in daylight. So we finally get uh, that kind of iconic uh, iconic uh, image from golden queen's commando in daylight so um so so it's kind of kick-ass it, 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 but uh, h- how long were you with the movie story-wise in all honesty before i stopped just sweating and just went yeah, with yeah, it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you pretty much have to do that immediately <laughs> i think the only surprise in terms of narrative is that it actually took two films before we got ninjas into this scenario because i think we have everything else you can think of prior to this point yeah, you you wonder why uh, IFD didn't discard Golden Queen's Commander then because they had no ninjas. Because sometimes they picked up movies based on that fact alone. That great, we are a ninja company, we, and we don't have to do anything. There's ninjas already. Uh, but uh, but why wouldn't you pick up Golden Queen's Commander though? So, um, but but you know, I I guess at the, the point where I stop not caring, but like I don't think I should make any more notes now. Is when uh, Sylvia, Sylvia, for fuck's sake, Sally is confronted by a period movie. <laughs> uh, she's essentially confronted by swordsman and a Buddhist monk with that yellow and red robe. And uh, again, if this was a video podcast, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it is that. I mean, I'm, I'm not making it up, and I, I think I'm remembering it correctly as well, John. That it's, it's characters from a way different era. That, and she is not part of that era at all. She wears her, she's more modern, you know, she's 40s, if anything. And they are from 100 years earlier or what have you. Yeah. No, I, 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 all I can figure is, once again, it, it was either artistic inspiration or two saying, okay, what have we got in terms of costumes? What can we stage in terms of action? 
let's just go nuts and mix everything together. What the hell? <laughs> let's go nuts and mix everything together. <laughs> That'll be great. <laughs> uh, but but it is fun. It has as he knows to kind of translate that energy once the movie is shot and edited uh, because it's um, these out of left field images uh, kind of translates to uh, to energy, I suppose. And 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 that's not a bad thing necessarily. Even though after a while nothing registers anymore, it's just a, a circus, especially when they get to the quote unquote wild west town. Uh, uh, there is just a circus of. Uh, I don't remember anything from the movie anymore. That's also the problem. It's so much that uh, you, you kind of can't uh, you can't lodge stuff in your memory because it's so much and random going on here. But throughout, does it translate to energy for you, despite being so random and so baffling? Oh, sure. I mean, it, it, this movie keeps moving right from the beginning. As you mentioned, Golden Queens is a bit laborious getting the setup out of the way, but this movie doesn't even worry about that. As you mentioned, it just starts mid-plot with them in the, this, the house bit that's being sieged. Uh, so once they get out of that, it just moves. And uh, they attempt some drama, even though that doesn't matter. Bridget Lynn has some past romance, and she's uh, she's apparently betrayed her comrades, and therefore she uh, she didn't have an eye in the first movie. In this one, she doesn't have an arm. <laughs> but uh, it, and she, she gets back on her feet on her feet pretty quickly after that arm chop. Very quickly, uh, actually. Um, b- based on the movie logic here, I would have expected that arm to grow again. <laughs> or 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 she, or she well what she does is she does get a fucking bionic arm almost <laughs> I just followed that that I remember she gets usage for her arm at the end you know uh, when training with Champ Wang's character she uh, she uh, yeah she 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 gets a gun attached to uh, to to her arm a la machete only not with. Uh, uh, that was a leg a machine gun into a leg in that one, but a machete for fuck's sake, Planetero. Gr- yeah, Grant has. Uh, yeah, but it's not just a gun; it's it's a Gatling gun, really. <laughs> so, uh, but, but okay, uh, that Wild West town called appropriately enough. Speaking of Rodriguez, Sin City. Mm, yes. Uh, this is a colorful town, John. To say the least, there's very contemporary graffiti <laughs> at yes. various points in it. Fire Breathers um, is in here, almost Western in feel, but it fits no era. Uh, as the movie is every era in tone. So why should the design fit anything? <laughs> no, the, the inspiration behind this town, you've seen this in a lot of Westerns. I mean, villains get come into money. They set up their own town with the gambling and whorehouses and so forth. They don't allow anyone in the town to be armed so that it allows no threat to them but beyond that it's completely crazy and bizarre and strange <laughs> and mix master mm. and uh, Blackie Co appears uh, r- riding a modern um, well I suppose modern uh, motorbike uh, a cross or cross bike or whatever I, I don't know anything about that stuff but uh, th- that's not a 40s element or wide west element either well he's, he's carrying a mace <laughs> so I guess, <laughs> I guess that puts us back in the 19th century so, uh, but Blackie Co is awesome. I think he's one of his expert, not expertise, but I know he's been credited with vehicular stunt action before. At least on Police Story, it said that he did some stunt work, like driving through the glass displays with, uh, like, a Bridget Lynn or the stuntman for Bridget Lynn attached to uh, the bike. Yeah, so I think uh, Blackie's uh, bike uh, expertise uh, that he had uh, was put to use here. So. Well, from what I understand, he was largely the Taiwanese evil Knievel. And in this film, he jumps across a, a d- destroyed bridge at one point. Mm-hmm. 
I was I was almost almost convinced that in the scene where the girls are confronting him, that one um, earlier um, when they're inside or when they arrive to the Wild West town again fragmented. I don't know what goes on in this movie, but I fi- I was under the impression that one he's stabbed to death in this scene, but apparently he's not because he appears later. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm throwing up my arms like I don't know. You're making but, a fun, fundamental mistake. We're <laughs> worrying about any of the plotting in this film. But it is a wild ride of awesome randomness, and uh, it, it has um, not many, uh, as far as I know, anyway, seen or any one scene straight copied out of another movie. But one scene in particular is very striking because many of you have seen the IFD logo with. Um, zoom into a Columbia logo looking like a girl on a mountaintop with Star Wars-esque music. Mm, yes. And then IFD presents. That footage, where, where does that uh, come from, John? It comes from this movie. and yes. uh, But what happens to that poor person is very much uh, not what you'd expect from the setup. Well, it's not like this is. We're not going to be able to spoil anything in this movie because it's not that kind of movie. You know, it's confusing. She, she, it's the appearance of like a, a godly character, you know, a goddess that Teresa Choi plays, and, and they're looking at that. Oh, it's that kind of moment, and then a character just shoots her, <laughs> <laughs> just interrupts that scene by just shooting her. <laughs> and she does appear because I think one of the beats in the scene is like when Teresa Choi appears like she says like well that was not the real one real <laughs> goddess but whatever that goddess was I don't know I just know that Teresa Choi is in this scene uh, and in this movie and I like that <laughs> because she is sexy and uh, she is all in white but very um, not covered up because you know, uh, no why should you I like well, her. well yeah, I guess she's covering up the tattoos she had in the first film because we still see those in the flashback <laughs> Which and, she magically doesn't have in the rest of the film. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, is it... Because it doesn't make sense on a story level, do you think Chu Yinping was thinking, okay, th- this is the movie and this is just wild ride of a wild ride of randomness. Let, let, I don't care. Let's just remind people of the fact that they were in this movie and had some awesome scenes. But we can't do that. It doesn't make any sense. Do it. Okay. Yeah, I guess. And, and then shoot it out and then let people deal with it because it's not the sole illogical or random element in this no so, just to put it mildly um why does the ku klux klan turn up in this movie john <laughs> um i guess because they had some white hoods maybe or maybe they needed some archetypal american western villains uh, i don't know <laughs> and yeah they don't have a, a, a big or cross-burning scene or anything like that they don't go for political incorrectness as such in this movie despite featuring the Ku Klux Klan or Chinese guys playing them uh, there are guaidos in this town but uh, and, and, and and again this is really the end of my notes I, I'm going to ask you a question again I know you can't answer it but it makes for it, it makes for a fun beat in our conversation for what reason are they fighting a colorful army at the end because they're <laughs> They're very colorful. They're yellow and they're pink and they're red. <laughs> I guess because someone decided to go nuts in the costume department. That that's my only uh, <laughs> that's my only explanation, such as it is. There, there is a big like you know the girls versus uh, and some participants within the city versus uh, a colorful army. But uh, and the drama they attempt here is uh, not, not because certain characters die, but um, it's not something that you feel. It's just 
something that happens but uh, even though you don't register I don't anyway even in a moment what is truly happening so sometimes anyway it's it remains a full-on joy that you it doesn't really matter if you watch it drunk or stone or cold you know, stone cold sober because it will have that effect on you that uh, that you like you're trying to focus almost with your eyes like <laughs> 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 you know, am i saying this correctly <laughs> am i saying it through a prism of you know a thd you know <laughs> Uh, but again, I stand by the fact that I, I think that um, I truly think I think this is a fact John, that Chu um, Yinping opened up um, movie uh, opened up dimensions and pulled this movie out of another movie dimension, and therefore it makes sense in another dimension, not here. But <laughs> that, that's the only explanation I can come up with. But man, did it make for a for a good time. And I, I guess it must have gone over well in uh, Taiwan, at least, because why else would they do Fantasy Mission Force in the same vein? Is, is Fantasy Mission Force at least coherent to some degree, or is it just a parade of whatever, you know? I guess I guess it's more coherent than this film, for what that's worth. Mm -hmm. um, so, there you go. Uh, this is possibly shot back-to-back, -back, and uh, you asked me that, and I think that's a valid point, because I don't think you could have gotten all these girls together at the same time necessarily uh, for two different shoots you know what I mean uh, because at least Bridget Lynn and Sally yeah, were getting busy uh, well, well not, not, maybe not so much Sally yeah, but uh, it seems like the logical thing to possibly do uh, especially if Chu Yinping and I'm saying if was a fast shooter Oh yeah, I'm sure these were slapped together pretty quickly. I, I don't have exact release dates for them, but I know they both came out at least in Taiwan in uh, 1982. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I think it, we can probably assume they were made in very close succession, if not uh, at the same time. Mm -hmm. And boy, <laughs> that would explain why Pink Force Commando makes no sense that they were shot at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's all good fun. It's so much good fun, and and. It, I think it's uniquely Taiwanese because Chu Yinping, to a degree, is he doesn't feel like when he's at his best like any Hong Kong filmmaker. You know what I mean? It, it, it really, if you study it, it feels very Taiwanese to me. No, not just casting, but I think he had a even a different take on uh, on cartoony comedy. If you watch a book of heroes kind of closely, uh, you realize that there's a different vibe to his cartoony comedy. Maybe it's not uniquely Taiwanese, but it's kind of uniquely him, uh, for what that's worth. I mean, it's not always successful, but um, I, I think he's got a touch that is um, not easily replicated. <laughs> Try to replicate this. <laughs> so, so would you argue that he's a mass audience auteur? Uh, but, uh, no, for a mass audience, I think uh, you have to turn to his dramas, essentially, if you want to get a mass audience to watch his movies uh this is this is almost specialized even though i would recommend these in a heartbeat but i don't think it's easy for all viewers to get a motivation to uh, explore further based on these movies but it, it really is a, it comes down to a, comes down to a, what kind of movie viewer you are i guess what tolerance you have and if, well, you are, if you have I... no tolerance for if you want your story coherent and your your character templates uh, you know fully formed and everything coming circular you know just leave now or before it starts or uh, pre-credits or whatever it's not. well I, 
my personal take would be to, if you want to explore cinema, would be to start with these films. I mean, even if they don't connect with you, if you're going to go with his mass audience commercial projects, uh, even as, like you said, like Requital, you're going to see a lot of plagiarism and uh, <clears throat> homage. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might as well see it uh, running rampant in these first and then decide whether you want to continue. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, I can't disagree with that either. Uh, just uh, trying to. Uh not uh, <laughs> frighten new viewers, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, by all means, go into these, and I hope you have a blast, uh, especially with... Uh, well, Double Build them is a good idea, but um, and it doesn't matter in, uh, in which order you uh, watch them, uh, even though they flash back to introductory scenes from Golden Queen's Commander, but uh, really, they, they, are, they are not related I, uh, as such either. So. Personally, I do like to watch them in the order we've discussed, uh, discussed them, though. Uh, but that's just... Uh, a choice, I suppose. Oh, yeah, you might as well watch the crazier one second. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Gets better. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> any other notes? Or, um... uh, I just wanted to talk about the music. Uh, there didn't oh, yes. seem to be as much uh, theft in this one. <clears throat> Did I say theft? I meant homage. Uh, <laughs> From the tour. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, for as far as Marconi goes, I only detected Duck You Sucker and the Big Gun Down yes. this time. Uh, and Dress to Kill was back in there. And uh, Conan the Barbarian. Uh, I, I would assume that would have been in Golden Queen's Commando if the soundtrack album had made it to Taiwan in time for the, the mix on that one. But it figures pretty prominently in this one. And no Tangerine Dream. They were left alone for like one episode of Taiwan War, I suppose. Yes, yes. No. Yeah, I don't think I, they're even in the uh, my extra movie this week. <laughs> uh, finally, uh, just a, another shout-out. The, the quote-unquote writer on both of these is uh, someone called Fu Lap. Uh, uh, a composer and a writer but also a director I've seen if this is a him or not I don't know direct the category 3 movies Angel Heart and Devil Angel with uh, Vivian Shu. both were serious melodramas but uh, Vivian Shu I thought was a standout in both especially in, in Devil Angel which was uh, also pretty uh, had some pretty compelling um, squib work or splatter violence in uh, some some violent illusions in that movie mm. uh, so uh, go check him out for for his uh, from the crazy writer of Pink Force Commando comes um, a little bit of gore and uh, boobies so that's a recommendation well he's, he's supposedly a composer on 44 films and I'm looking at these titles and <laughs> once I've seen don't have any original music in them. <laughs> the one the one that picked the one that yes. picked it all so. it's, it's his soundtrack albums as much of a composer as Frankie Shan was at at, uh, at most times. You know? Right, right. Uh, so uh, that's us leaving uh, this uh, part of uh, Crazy Taiwanese Cinema. We might encounter a little bit more because we do have still our extra films, if you will, our last Taiwanese movies watched. So let's stop sweating <laughs> trying to decipher Chuyamping movies and uh, relax a little bit and we'll be right back. Welcome back, and this is the last segment of this uh, this um, 
uh, weed-induced show, you might think, or at least weed-induced movies. But uh, we'll see if that runs through the last Taiwanese movies watched. So, random picks from our pies, which is a good and fun endeavor. Or was it, John? What did you pick? Hmm. Well, this time out, I decided to finally see a title that's haunted me for the last 20 years. <laughs> oh dear. When I, f- when I first started uh, watching Hong Kong and Taiwanese films en masse, I got a list of titles from companies like Tai Sang and World Video, and I was just marveling at these weird titles, like Megaforce from Highland. <laughs> and, and, uh, which I think is actually a mainland film. But this one is a Taiwanese film which was shot in Thailand with the you will never forget a title of Challenge to Devil Area. So I'm watching that right now, Sejong. <laughs> <laughs> In fairness to that awful English title, the Chinese title translates approximately as Challenge to the Alien Region. So it's sort of the same, but unfortunately there are no aliens or devils in this thing to make it more no, interesting. Not even white devils, guaylos? Uh, no, no, no guaylos. <laughs> sorry. No, too bad. Um, this one begins with uh, Chin Su Ho battling a group of criminals to save a kidnapped girl. And it's one of those uh, scenes where there's a shootout and acrobatics and people die, and then you realize that it's, it's actually a police training exercise. And I love how in movies, when they do this, that they're able to simulate bullet hits on people during these drills to the point where it's so convincing that the lead cop doesn't realize that it's just a test. And thankfully, he hasn't put real bullets in his gun. Uh, so <clears throat> we we had that scene to demonstrate to what a badass Chin Su Ho is. So his um, officer dispatches him to the Golden Triangle to try and bust up a local gang that's selling these drugs they are manufacturing. And the subtitles say they're amphetamines, but I think they're supposed to be morphine. Hmm. But at any rate, um, in Ho- Hong Kong, Chin is all business. He's Mr. Cool, Mr. Professional. But when he ends up in uh, Thailand and sees this pretty Thai girl, he turns into this goofy, lovesick dolt <laughs> who's just... Truly irritating. Uh, He's just way over the top. Uh, This girl, uh, as you might expect, is not just any girl, but she's uh, one of the local villagers whose lives are being ruined by the drug trade because the local drug lords are forcing these uh, poor villagers to work for them, uh, refining the drug and so forth. And whenever whenever these villagers try to escape the area, the gang kills them. Hmm. Uh, Chin Ho, not to be confused with Chin Su Ho, turns up as one of the villagers but amazingly in contrast to his usual image in movies like Last Blood he's actually not such a bad guy in this and in fact he's actually such a nice guy we learn he's a local undercover cop uh, so the two chins and some of the villagers eventually lead an assault on the drug lord's heavily armed fortress so we get more two guns diving action at the end um, this was directed by Chang Xionan, whose only other credit I'm aware of is an action film called Tattoo Girl aka Killer Butterflies which was released on VCD and, I assume, Laserdisc without subtitles. It seems to be one of those movies Kara Huai did when her career was at a low point during mm. the late early and early 90s. Um, Challenge the Devil Area is filled with very old stock music, uh, at least in the Cantonese version that I watched, that really doesn't suit the film at all. Uh, lots of people get shot, but the gunplay is not especially well choreographed. Um, it did, for fans of Hong Kong cinema, it does end with the requisite freeze frame of somebody jumping in the air going, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so it's if you fast forward through it, there are some distractions and a few amusing moments, but... Um, I don't know if this was shot before or after Hero Dream. But I was about to like... say, like, I wonder if he got to do the wonderful Hero Dream in Thailand uh, yeah. while he was there, you know. Uh, but but there's no Lady Boys in this one, I suppose. No, no. But, I mean, if you're looking for a crazy-ass uh, Taiwanese 
action film shot in Thailand with Chin Su Ho. That is the one to look for, and uh, not that this one. And and you also get uh, Chin Kar Lok in uh, Hero Dream as well. Yeah, uh, I remember um, Hero Dream had uh, some um, Miami Vice uh, music in it uh, that I remember because I think it was the opening theme of Miami Vice. It's like, hey, oh, really? <laughs> here we go. <laughs> this is <laughs> kind of but not kick ass, but it's there. So so there's not uh, any in Challenge to Devil Area any. Uh, like a quantity of uh, of uh, gunplay, then that might translate into a little bit of energy. Or... Well, because sometimes a... that works. Yeah, there's a fair quantity, but uh, the quality, yeah, and it's not really worth slogging through the rest of what you have to sit through to get to those scenes. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you you have to see a movie called Challenge to Devil Area, I suppose it could be more painful than it is, but uh, definitely don't make this one a priority. Mm. Yeah, check out Lost Blood as well. Chin Ho, I, I couldn't... Uh, fit the name to a face but he, I, I definitely remember him being uh, pretty badass in The Lost Blood uh, yes. which is pretty perfect movie for me to be honest it's the, one of those Wong Jing movies where you know clearly Wong Jing is working in one area of the film like the goofy stuff with El Tsang and, uh, and uh, Andy Lau and clearly the action director is working on the other which is the kick-ass action movie with a lot of cool gunplay Sorry, I guess I guess you don't mind badass Alan Tam. In that I movie? like Alan Tam in that movie. He's good in that movie. That is, uh, I was about to say, like it's entirely memorable. I no no ill feelings, no black <laughs> hole in front of me. Like I can't see anything. <laughs> oh, it's Alan Tam. <laughs> uh, so uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll if I had it, I'll probably check it out. It's 1991. It's Taiwan. Chin Ho, You know, it can't be too it can't be too offensive, and it probably isn't. It's just nothing worth uh, memor- uh, remembering uh, post-viewing, I suppose. Yeah, well, well, I guess one nice thing is that ERA released it on Laserdisc Letterboxd, so mm-hmm. the subtitles are clear, don't often make sense, but you, you won't have any strain watching it. Mm, right on. Um, okay, I, I'll, I'm, I'm going to talk some art, or attempted art, actually. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm not very receptive to it normally, but uh, this one, um, both viewings of it, because I've seen it twice now, is uh, quite something. It's... Um, this version I saw for this show is called Mean Ghost from 1990, presumably the original title. The version I reviewed on my website, sogoodreviews.com, was based on the Hong Kong version known as Little Woman. And uh, the, the differences in running time are pretty staggering. Taiwan, that I saw it does uh, for this viewing, 136 minutes. Mm. Hong Kong, 90. Oh, 1995, around about that. But quite a hefty amount taken out. So I think if definitely Taiwan produced originally. Uh, it's a very slow, methodical whodunit. That uh, a period whodunit that ties together its bag neatly by the end without too much excess. And uh, you'll understand more as I talk more about it. Uh, as we said, you know, Taiwan versions were... In, in the case of Chu and Ping's movies, there there were some different Taiwan versions. There there were cases I heard in the way of of Hong Kong filmmakers and movies using using Taiwan as a test screening region, despite release actually releasing the movie and then trimming it for Hong Kong release. So you got mm. certain movies like I don't know, Swordsman Two, Once Upon a Time in China Three. There uh, were the, a few. The, the Killer, uh, the Taiwanese version of the Killer, is about twenty good 20 minutes longer yeah yeah you have you have the hefty differences then you have only a few minutes differences as well hardboiled i think is um just a few minutes different uh, an action scene that is edited in a different way and, yes uh, 
So yeah. so you had that, but Chu Yinping's vision in the case of Iron of Fire and Home to Fall was uh, was de- definitely uh, kind of destroyed in the case of Island of Fire and Home Too Far. A little Little Woman and Mean versus Mean Ghost, I think they both work despite being so different in length. But they're a plot there, first of all, uh, centering around an encounter involving the daughter of an official played by Joey Wong. Um by the way, this is a category three movie, so Joey Wong in a category three movie, lads. Yay. No, Promising. No, she 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 shows uh, a leg. In this one. Oh. That's about it. Uh her an encounter between her, uh her husband Chin Woon an animalistic uh, uh, rapist, I suppose, Hong Yim, played by Tan Lap Man from Erotic Ghost Story in the Jack Nicholson role in that one. Uh, and also looking on this encounter is cosmetic salesman Chin Siu, played by Anthony Wong Yu Ming, the singer Anthony Wong, who was the star of Golden Swallow, one of the uh, Chinese ghost story copies that was pretty much literally a copy. <laughs> Uh, I remember you reviewed that on your site, Golden Swallow, but I don't know if you gave it a favorable review or not. Um, yeah, I thought it was one of the better imitations from that yeah. era. Yeah, it, it was solid, but it was also very much like a copy at the same yeah. time. Like, come on, man, create a little bit yourself. But he looks on from a distance that uh, and this encounter ends with Yin, Yoen Wan's character, being raped and, and uh, her husband is left dead. So Yin's father starts recapping the story in order to bring the guilty parties to justice. And along the way, it turns out there's more to this deadly encounter that we see first. That, uh, and it can be tracked back to Yin's mother, played by Category 3 actress Shan Wing Shi, who um, one of her better roles was in False Lady, the Category 3 remake of uh, Blake Edwards' uh, Switch. So she, uh, yep, she plays a male one, uh, male character in that one, obviously. Uh, she, Shan Wing Shi, only appears in the Category 3 rated Hong Kong cut. Uh, and I'll explain a little bit, little bit more about that. She is, uh, in flashback, you see, she's been sentenced to death by Wooden Donkey. Oh. Just, uh, that is painful that is yes. fucking painful <laughs> yeah so i'm being a bit vague and it's a bit confusing this movie is is very vague and uh, and consciously confusing until the very end uh, in little woman the hong kong cut it's a uh, i i quoted it as being a very direct flick you know because you get nudity uh right away you get bloodshed right away and then uh into our face really quickly you know and uh and uh after Chan Wing Chi is being seemingly ground to death on the wooden donkey, I mean, they shoved that up her, you know, vagina. Uh, yeah, yes. So we've seen that in Chinese torture chamber story as a scene akin to that. So it's a, it's an ancient torture or uh, death, death sentence, uh, an ancient death sentence, if you want to believe movies, I guess. But uh, this movie is, doesn't move that fast, actually. It's the, directed by two Yao's, uh, Yao Liu Jun and Yao Dai Ping. The latter is the writer of Rouge, which should tell you something about what this movie contains. Actually, it's a ghost story, partly. Uh, they, they both have reduced pace and atmospheres goals, uh, and they, they are less direct as the movie goes along. There are long takes of a lot of stuff, you know, a long take of Joey Wong, before that encounter that leaves her rape, uh, cleaning herself, you know, with uh, just a, a tissue, you know, wiping off her makeup and then cleaning her leg really slowly, which I don't mind at all, really. It's both, uh, I am patient because I guess it helps that Joey Wong is so uh, beautiful. You know, she's made up in completely white makeup, though, so she's pale. Uh, yeah. But that uh, that is uh, a very, like, intriguing choice and she can project um 
uh, you know, she has a screen press, it's a very um, honed one by 1990, uh, 1990. So I think that uh, works. It's a dangerous venture, of course, uh, to be very slow and very arty and very uh, hide your movie intentions in that way. But uh, it pays off as the movie goes along, as we find out what actually happens, because we see different version of events or extended version of events as the movie goes along what you know it's not as clear cut as we see at the beginning uh, it leads to a rape yeah but there are elements within that encounter that we don't know until later in the film and it, one of the i guess advantages of the hong kong cut is that it does have even more exclusive scenes uh, with uh, tan lap man and chan wing chi because they they have some scenes where he uh, saves uh, he he saves her and the daughter, Joey Wong's character, uh, when she was a child from drowning, and uh, then she's uh, he's wrongly accused, and he's Tan Lap Man even turns into like almost a almost a vampire, and a masturbating animalistic rapist vampire, and ah. that and that is not in the Taiwan version at all. You know, you get that he's an animal, but that stuff they at least kept for the Hong Kong edit because he's in both versions of the film it's not like they hired him for for the hong kong cut only uh so again i, I remember that stuff from the hong kong version but when watching ming ghost it was like i don't think this stuff is gonna turn up <laughs> uh, despite being longer you know but uh, but but those careful compositions visually and that slow static camera and very uh, it's a well costume movie too and the ambient score and a very haunting looking joey wong because they, she looks haunting it slowly transforms the movie into a supernatural mystery that viewers can get attached to if they stay because that, that that's the challenge and i think they do all right at least for me anyway uh the, the mystery gets played out in front of us as i said a lot more extensively and joey wong's character in the aftermath of this starts acting very weird and you 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 ask yourself and that that's a good thing because you're on board with the mystery if she's possibly scarred uh, that she's possibly felt is acting very irrational uh, uh, because she's lost all her worth and she's kind of reverted into a destructive shell because uh, you know she did get raped and it's not to be taken lightly and she's the daughter of an official as well so uh, you know you don't know how she's thinking inside or uh, or who she is after this or what she is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and uh, Wong relies on that star press is very reliable you know and um, and she she is memorable for this uh, role I think it's one of her less seen roles and it's a suitable extension uh, uh, both versions of the film I recommend both actually it's a suitable extension of the atmospheric ghost story that Yao Dai Ping wrote uh, for Stanley Kwan and uh, that turned into Rouge uh, and the atmosphere is pretty enchanting actually and uh, dark and uh, sometimes very um, not harrowing but creepy I would say there is some there is death in this movie but uh, not um, as direct as the openings that I talked about suggest with a uh, with a pretty nasty uh, murder with a knife uh, and uh, blood splatters all over the place so I mean um, uh, which was exclusive to the Hong Kong version again so stick if you see Little Woman or Mingo, stick with it at, at both lengths. I mean, if you, um, you're going to be there longer if you watch the Taiwan version. But uh, what it has, and this may sound weird, it has a longer aura of mystery, and that's not a bad thing. I think both do, both tend to work. You, you get the general idea, and, and when the twist happens, you, you get the, definitely the idea. And it's a very 
well-crafted um, board line on art art in movie just because it is very slow some static takes of seemingly very uh, common events like cleaning yourself a little bit but she's not in a bathtub or anything joey Wong. she's just uh, uh, sitting in, in a field and cleaning herself that way hmm. so yeah. it basically it sounds like this is a much better uh, more successful case of having an alternate cut of a film than what we usually get with the uh, Hong Kong versions of Taiwan the pictures. I think so. I actually think both um, both do are right, despite not being, uh, you know, uh, super different from each other. There is some exclusive footage to the Hong Kong cut, and therefore an a ad- little added backstory. But um, they both succeed in uh, actually. I think they're, they're largely the same movies, and. Uh, uh, Jack Cow is in this movie, you know, um, scary shitty pants villain uh, Jack Cow. <laughs> uh, but he's uh, he plays a character that has a connection to uh, he, he's a soldier of the uh, that uh, was is close to the official. Uh, was was there at the kind of court proceedings? He doesn't say much. Uh, quite by design, this character is not is possibly in love with Joy Wong, but can't say anything, obviously. And she and he's also wondering what's going on here and what, why she's acting so weird. Um, so and Jack Cow has been in some art films. You know, last episode I talked of Midnight Revenge, which was a very quiet role, not a good one. He's good, but the movie was uh, not very good. There was a movie called Dust of Angels that I saw, which uh, seemed like a gangster movie, but really was aiming for an art feel with uh, long static takes of nothing. And that was what I took away from that movie, nothing. I thought it was really, really <laughs> boring. Uh, mixed in Dolby Surround for some reason, being hmm. a being a pre ninety five Taiwanese movie. So, uh, but um, yeah, it's interesting to have them both uh, to have um, both versions. Uh, they they use some fairly, but not really. To be honest, when you've seen both versions, clever editing to uh, because that that wooden donkey scene again. Chan Wing Chi appears a little bit in that, but they use also footage that I saw in Ming Ghost of the original actress. So they kind of, if you don't see the original actors as much, they used, they kept that. Then they had a little bit of insert work with Chan Wing Chi. But I can say that much, that character appears at the end again. Uh, well, I've kind of spoiled it, but not really, uh, because she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> but but then it's the, then it's not Chan Wing Chi anymore. It's the original actress. But I guess based, based on the fact that this is kind of supernatural, you, I don't know, you can buy it, I suppose. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's a f- little bit of logic in there, but uh, whatever. Uh, so availability probably not very great of this. I have this from I got it from uh, Jared Oking, who uh, the Hong Kong version from uh, I think he has a VCD, and I got a Taiwanese VCD of it as well. So uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, might be a local Taiwanese release, but it's all from the cinema print. Um, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, uh, that VCD has that top classic movie banner, and I've seen that uh, almost a label, and I've seen that label release DVDs with that same banner and same same cover art design. So possibly there is a subtitle DVD of uh, Ming Ghost if you want to find it. So. Okay, uh, I, I'll, I'll maybe at least check out one version. Yeah. What would you recommend if I was only going to watch one version? If you have the patience, really, I, I would like you to check out Mean Ghost. I mean, um, do do it in two sittings, if you will. I think you can keep up with the movie. Uh, but so, if I were to share that movie with you, I, I would love to share both. But I would love you to check out Mean Ghost first. Okay. Uh, but but obviously, it's uh, it's entirely up to you. <laughs> uh, so that's it. Uh, coming up on Taiwan Noir Eight. Uh, 
we don't do this kind of structure. We we do we, we jump from director to director and topic to topic just to cover a little bit of everything and then come back and continue to cover cover some, some of the same stuff again. But we are doing some more two and ping next time, and I. I want to collaborate uh, with another show on this network, and that is Commentary on Fire. Oh. Uh, let's, therefore, if we're going to stay in Chu Yanping mode, and Bridget Lin mode, and Taiwanese Reefer Madness mode, and and then Jackie Chan mode. Uh-oh, I know where we're going with this. Let's, yeah, where are we going, John? The Pearl Chang mode, too. Yes, therefore, therefore, where are we going, John? <laughs> Fantasy, mission, force. Yes, attempting to do a commentary on that. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of afraid by it now because I felt so confused and stoned by, while watching this movie. And I promise I wasn't. <laughs> I just felt that. But, uh, you know, we're going to bring as much seriousness and background and info as we can to the table while marveling at the mad sights on screen. You know, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> Are you stoned, Ken? I think I am stoned. No, I'm not stoned, John. <laughs> Uh, so uh, that'll be fun, I think. Uh, so uh, look for that in the near future. But uh, this is, in the meantime, our uh, take on uh, Golden Queen's Commando and Pink Force Commando. Done. So uh, thank you for listening. And the contact information again goes as following. This has been Taiwan War on the Podcast on Fire network. And the website for this, the other shows, and the bonus episodes, podcastonfire.com. You can reach us by email, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash POF Network. Join the Facebook group. You can find a link on that very page. Twitter.com forward slash Podcast on Fire to follow us on Twitter. Follow my writing and video reviewing on SoGoodReviews.com and SleazyKVideo.com. And follow me on Twitter talking about all of that and how stoned I felt when watching Chewy and Ping movies. <laughs> Twitter.com forward slash SoGoodReviews. Subscribe to Taiwan Noir on iTunes. And if you like the show, uh, we would very much appreciate a star rating. And even a little comment uh, and review. That would help us raise our profile ever so slightly. And you can also stream the entire Podcast on Fire network, including Taiwan Noir on Stitcher. Download the free app to your iPhone, iPad, Android, and BlackBerry. And uh, once you're in, type in Podcast on Fire network, and you can add each show individually. Again, check out Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, uh, the blogspot uh, blog by a good friend Jesus and his Taiwan Black Movies posts. Uh, those are located in the show post on podcastonfire.com, so you can access all of those relevant posts uh, via that link. And your plugs again, John. Uh, my blog is by John Charles. You can find that on Blogspot. I'm on Twitter, J-C-G-U-E-L-P-H. And my Hong Kong digital site is still up there, and we're still cranking out those video watchdogs. Right on. Uh, so this has been can be for Taiwan R and with me again was John Charles. Thanks, Ken. Right, let's research the fantasy nature force commentary. <laughs> <laughs>